The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Isn't that what they say? We are taught that heroes are people who fight and die and make the ultimate sacrifices for love. I am a hero, and anyone who cannot see that is a coward. Being a girl is hard. It looks easy, but it isn't. It's confusing, and it changes every single year that we're alive. I don't want to change. I did it right, just like they told me. It's really important for girls to be beautiful and sexy and desired. We know this. We always know this. How are you going to get a man if you spend all your time in the library? You'll never find a husband if you don't wear some cuter clothes. People say that. They still say that. Look at the stories we're told as babies. We're supposed to want the prince, and the prince wants the prettiest and least ambitious girl. You have to be so pretty that even if you're asleep for their entire life and have done absolutely nothing except the one thing you weren't allowed to do, they will literally murder people for you. But that's the thing, right? It's not enough to have a man want you or love you. They have to be willing to do anything for you. But how do you know what they're willing to do unless you ask? What's that thing they say on Law & Order? The burden of proof is on the prosecution. So it's not enough to say it. We need to make them prove it, right? Otherwise, how would we ever know? We could lose them. This man that we love so much and worked so hard to find. We left the library, we wore the cute clothes. This man we fashioned ourselves into a princess for and created the whole world around. And what could possibly be worse than that? Our love is something they will write books about. That's what he told me. And he would know. He's a grown-up. Not to put myself down, I'm not just an innocent kid. Everyone calls me an old soul. They say I have soulful eyes and that my body looks way older than 13. All the adults I know say that. They say it in a way that doesn't always make me feel good, but that's just because they're jealous of what I have, of how unique and desirable I've become. He picked me. He could have had any woman his own age, but he chose to trust his love with me. Some people don't understand our love, and that's why they have to go. They think it's wrong for him to love me, to want me. But what they don't know is that we're special, different. We are in love. He's not some creep who likes little girls. He can see that I'm not like other eighth grade girls. I'm powerful. I made a grown man do anything for me. He said so himself. He's powerless around me. I'm the princess in the tower, and he slayed the dragon. How can that be wrong? I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead.
uncomfortable monologue. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm the princess in the tower. It was that was a hard write because there were a lot of things I wanted to say with it and I wanted both angles to be visible. So Yeah, I like it. Thanks. It'll make more sense as we like reveal the whole story. Mm-hmm. So hey Leslie. Hey Holly. Hey Fiends and welcome back. Wow, the world has really dealt us some challenging cards in 2022. Man, <laughs> every it? year, every year, I, it's I like know. it levels up. I know. I look back and go, everyone was so mad at 2020, but it wasn't that bad to me. No. We did fine. Mm-hmm. It was okay. 2021 was fine. This one has been kind of rough so far. It's been rough because I feel like everything's back, supposed to be back to normal, mm-hmm. but it it's harder. And yeah. then and then life happens. Life happens really, really hard, <laughs> especially to us. We've had like several like issues where we had to take off for a week. And yeah. I I don't I don't know. I don't like having to take weeks off. Yeah, me either. I know. It's, we always get sad. But life is horribly <laughs> unpredictable. We're just so sad. We're just really sad. <laughs> and try as I might, I just can't control it. And I really try. You try so hard. So, so hard. I really try hard to control everything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. So, first of all, this week, thank you to everyone who reached out in the past week, um, or two weeks, I should say, it's mm-hmm. two weeks, and to the fiends who generously sent me a beautiful care package. That was really nice. That was very nice. And I know Leslie put it together because all beautiful shore soap products. Yeah. So, thank you, <laughs> Leslie. Uh, and for those of you who don't follow us on social media, I hate to even have to say this, but Zero, my beautiful, perfect Pomeranian puppy, was killed in a hit and run last week. It was a horrible nightmare. And sometimes when I close my eyes, it still comes back to me. My dog is my lighthouse, and anyone with a brain like a storm knows exactly what I mean. I loved him very much, but life isn't fair, and sometimes it hurts. And I won't pretend like there's always a reason for everything, but I'm very thankful for the support of this community and all the wonderful people it has brought into my life. So thank you, I love you, Holly. I love you guys, too. I knew I, like, had to mention it, but I also knew it was going to be awful. Huh, so also, do you need to take a second? No. Okay. I'm just going to keep going. You may be noticing that this week's episode is not about the history of abortion. Yes. It's not. Um, and you are very astute for doing so. And I'm glad you pay attention when I talk. <laughs> However, I'm not just, I'm just not up for telling a story with that many feelings linked to that many women right now. I don't think you are either. No. No. But it's not never going to happen. We just tabled it for right now. So if you sent us a story, I want you to know that we appreciate you and your bravery and candor, and we will be using it in the planned episode in the future when our hearts are better equipped to tell it. So that is coming, and thank you. And speaking of having a sad heart, it really can uh, age your face to sit around crying Mm -hmm. all day. Yeah. It's not good. This is the worst you've ever looked. Terrible. (laughs) And I have a face on. Yeah. <laughs> you get so puffy and the salt from your tears just like dries out your face. The mm-hmm. whole thing is so unsightly. It is. So our glorious beans were kind enough to send me some amazing shore soap skincare. And it is helping. Mm-hmm. But we both shed our fair share of tears in the past two weeks. And I've heard that serums work a lot better when they're applied in a circular motion with validation. Hell, we're dying on. It's worth it. Dying on it. And wouldn't you know it, our fiends can make that happen. Oh my gosh. Tell me how. Are you excited? I'm so excited. So am I. How, you may be asking yourself. That's I'm asking. Well done. 
Well, I'll tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really does make a huge difference. In fact, it's really the only way to move this podcast forward. And moving forward for us means more amazing content for you. Maybe we'll finally be able to travel like we keep threatening we're going to do. (laughs) We're going to (laughs) travel. And then you'll see. (laughs) Or maybe we'll make it on a list. Who knows? I love a good list. Fucking love a list. I just want to be on a list. Somebody write a list and put us on it. Any list. Any list. Just so I can be like, "Ah, we did it. (laughs) Actually, I should take that back. It should not be any list. No, you're right. That's that's a can of worms I don't want to get into. But like a good, nice list. Yeah, like a fun one. Yeah, like something that gets us more validation. Please. Great. (laughs) (laughs) But if extra content is what you're looking for, you can also come over and support us over on Patreon. So for just a few dollars a month, our patrons have access to our special video after show, Host Mortem, extra minisodes, all of our 30-minute horror movies. As a patron, you'll also get the opportunity to vote on future topics, Zoom with us, hopefully attend some meetups in the future. I think we're going to try and make that happen. Maybe we'll get one in the summer. That'll be really fun. So all that is fun and more. (laughs) Bad writing on my part. (laughs) And if all of that seems like a little much for you, you can simply follow us on social media, especially... Fucking Instagram, whose code I cannot crack. We are at WouldBeDeadPod on all the platforms. Like or share our stuff. Like or share all of our stuff if you're feeling saucy. You might be yeah. feeling saucy. Be like, I'm just going to like 20 things today. That's mm-hmm. fine. Post about your favorite episode. Let us know when you're listening. Make a TikTok soundtrack that's us. That would be fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Putting that out there in the world. Okay. And manifest it. Well, that might be fun. Wouldn't it? I like it. Me too. Make it happen. That's how I'll know we've arrived. When our voice is just out there. Yeah. <laughs> tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Tell your friendly neighborhood werewolf. Oh, did I mention that we have one of those this week? Because we do. What's a friendly um, neighborhood werewolf name? Well, mm-hmm. I guess that would be Remus. Oh, okay. Right? Back in the Harry Potter zone. Yeah. So then your friends and Remus can become fiends and we can all hang out together. He's such a tortured soul. He is. You know? I think that's a werewolf prerequisite. They just, they feel so damned. I know. And they're just putting everyone else at risk, but they love so hard. Werewolves, not swearwolves. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm going to want to say that so many times in this episode. I didn't write it in, so it's <laughs> got to be organic. <laughs> um, lastly, happy Pride Month, y'all. Hey, hey. We do have Pride cases lined up for this month and charities we will be donating to, hopefully with your help. So just Hang tight for all of that because it is coming. I think that's all my stuff. I had a lot this week. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? I cannot say that I do. Okay. Um, you don't have to. Then I won't. Just say what you're comfortable saying. I don't feel comfortable. Oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> then on with the show. Okay. Get into it. <laughs> April 23rd, 2006 was a warm day in Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada. Spring seemed to be dragging its feet, but I don't think that's anything new in the famously chilly and polite land of Canada. So the mild weather was a welcome entity. 304 Cameron Road is a modest suburban home in a low-key middle-class neighborhood. The 1,004-square-foot, four-bedroom, two-bath, split-level home was neatly landscaped and well-kept. In 2006, it was home to a family of four with the surname of Richardson. 
Parents Mark and Deborah were upstanding members of their local community, and they had two children, 12-year-old Jasmine and 8-year-old Tyler Jacob, who went by his middle name, so they call him Jacob in those things. Hmm. I don't know why, they just did. Good for him. 8-year-old Jacob was a neighborhood kid, and by that I mean like he had a lot of friends within walking and biking distance. You know, those kids that just kind of bounce around from place to place, and they're always on their bikes and stuff. He was really immersed in that. He was particularly fond, though, of his six-year-old neighbor, Gareth Penner. The pair loved to play hockey and Star Wars together. I'm not sure if they ever did both at once, but I bet that was fun if they did. Oh. Hockey Star Wars? I love that. I mean, you probably would love that. Just like, yeah, because you would use your hockey stick as like a lightsaber. For sure. And you can make the sounds when you're hitting the puck. Yes. Yeah. Pick yourself some fun Star Wars characters to be. I hope that sounded like a lightsaber. John, you can edit that. Add, if it add did a lightsaber it. in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the only time I'm going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> On this mild day at about one o'clock, Gareth had asked his mother if it was all right if he went over to Jacob's house to play. Their cars were in the driveway, so Gareth assumed that everyone was home. His mother, Sarah, said it would be fine so long as Jacob's parents were okay with it and that Gareth did not forget to ask if it was okay before running inside to play. Manners always. This is Canada, after all. (laughs) Gareth ran over to his friend's house and knocked on the door, smiling and probably fidgeting with the anticipation of a fun afternoon. This reminds me so much of my son bolting over to the neighbor's house, hands full of, like, Pokemon cards or water guns or some really cool rocks, and nervously asking if his friend can come out and play. He's always, like, kind of jumping. He's, like, so excited about it. So Gareth got to the front door and he knocked once to nothing and then twice, but still nobody came to the door. Hmm. And being a curious six-year-old who spent a lot of time in this house, he wondered where everyone could be. So Gareth climbed through the manicured bushes and mulch to peer into the basement windows, which may be a confusing statement. After all, it was kind of confusing to me. Most basements either don't have windows or they have those weird little tiny high up windows like my basement that you would really never think to look into for, like, the family who lives there. You would be like, they're probably hanging out in this weird basement. But as I mentioned earlier, the house is a split level. Yeah, so it's like their living room would be there, right? Yeah, exactly. So this house, when you walk in, it's a small space with, like, probably a formal living room, just like a parlory type stuff. And then there's a staircase that goes down into another, like, living Mm -hmm. space with couches and stuff. And next to it, there's a staircase that goes up into bedrooms and things. So the basement that they talk about in this case is a finished living space. Right. And probably where the family, um, kids included, spend a lot of their time. I think like the TVs down there Mm -hmm. and stuff. Gareth would have probably played in there often and been well aware that if somebody was hanging out, they would be there. So as he peered into the windows, Gareth saw something unexpected, something so shocking that his six-year-old brain may not have even registered it as real. He immediately turned and ran back to his house. He burst into the front door and shouted, Mommy, there's bodies at Jacob's with blood on them. I saw them through the basement window. Which is not a thing any parent would ever expect to hear their child say. No. Or want to. Gareth's mother, like any of us would, reacted first with shock and a healthy dose of disbelief, saying, you better not be lying. Right. Feel this mother in my soul. Mm-hmm. Kids are super dramatic, and they are not masters of their own language at six years old. So he really could have seen anything. And also, she doesn't know if they're already playing a game. Right. Or like, your brain, we talk about this nearly every episode, never leaps to, yeah, probably disaster. Yeah. 
your brain goes, oh, no, what's the logical thing that my six-year-old saw? Mm-hmm. But Gareth was terrified and insisted and pulled his mother by the hand back to his neighbor's house to show her what he had seen. Sure enough, when Sarah crouched down to look through the lower hanging windows, she was met with an horrific sight. She saw the body of a man in black boxer shorts smeared all over with blood stretched out on the floor. And in some accounts, they say that she also saw a second body but couldn't see as much of it. In some, they only say um, the man's body. So she could have seen both probably from that vantage Mm -hmm. point, but there's not 100% on it. But she really couldn't be sure who she was seeing because the faces were very much obscured with blood. So while Sarah couldn't really be sure what had happened, she knew that it was desperate. And so she ran back home to call 911. Well done there. Don't try to go inside. Don't be a hero. Call the damn cops. Right. An officer arrived on the scene at approximately 1.34, which may seem like a long time after the discovery. But remember, Gareth went over his neighbors to play at one. Did I mention it was one o'clock? I don't remember. Oh, rats. If I didn't, he went over there at one o'clock. Okay. But there was a lot of commotion that happened between that time and the 911 call. So in reality, a patrol officer got there pretty quickly. The officer spoke to a few of the neighbors, just like, who are these people? What could be happening? Do you know if anything, did you hear anything weird? Are they not home? That kind of thing. And then he went to look in the window himself. And what he saw was unmistakably a crime scene. And he knew in an instant that he had to call for backup. Another smart cop. Mm -hmm. Don't be a hero. Get the people to come. For all they knew, the killer, whoever they were, was still there. Also, they don't know that these people are dead. They only know that it looks awful. And actually, some police in later interviews admitted that, like, when they looked into that basement, they're like, oh, this this could have been, like, a murder-suicide or a domestic dispute. Hmm. Like a guy who killed himself and his wife or something. Right. So, 10 minutes later, three more officers arrive on the scene, and the whole team of them use a battering ram to get through the locked front door. And immediately they could tell that something horrible had happened in that house, and it was not an accident. The officers were met with a bloody scene. There were smudges and smears of blood on the walls as soon as they entered the house. They could see a trail of blood smears leading up the stairs. The carpet was bloody, and they could hear a dog whining. Don't worry, the dog is okay. I could never have done a case with something that happens to a dog this week. I don't know much about the dog other than it was little and black and unharmed. Okay. So she is fine. And I'm sure a family member or neighbor took her and loved her. What kind of dog was it? I don't know. They just said it was little and black. Hmm. Yeah. Could have been anything. So there's a team of four officers. At this point, they go, okay, we're going to split up. Two people are going to go up the stairs and two are going to go down. They draw their weapons and they go because they don't know what they're going to walk into. And both teams discover a scene so grisly, bloody, and violent that many of the responding officers report still being affected by it to this day. A year later at the trial, which we will talk a little bit about later, a responding officer spoke of needing therapy afterwards and that he could still see the scene in graphic detail when he closes his eyes. Mm, That's rough. Yeah, it's pretty awful. The officers who went to the basement were met with the sight of two bodies and an absolute bloodbath. So I'm going to make it clear, like, both of these crime scenes are extraordinarily bloody. It's everywhere. At the foot of the stairs, the officers found a woman who would later be identified as Mrs. Richardson. She was lying in a, quote, unnatural position, described as half on her side and half on her back, with her head propped up at an awkward angle by the couch. So I imagine it was, like, kind of just stuck on the couch, you know? And she was, like, kind of twisted. Yeah, I love that. Mrs. Richardson was wearing a blue nightgown with no undergarments, and the bottom was pushed up. 
though this we will later confirm, and I can tell you right now, was not in an effort to sexually assault her. It was just something that happened in the struggle. A lot of us don't sleep with underpants on. I don't sleep with underpants on. They're not that comfortable. Right. So You're not supposed to. Yeah. There you go. You're supposed to let it breathe. Let it breathe. That's what she was doing. So I know it, it sounds like the typical description of a sexual assault, but that's not what we're dealing with here. This is just someone who was caught off guard in the middle of the night. She was covered in blood and a pool of it had spread out around her on the floor and the little dog was at her side. Behind Mrs. Richardson and slightly to the left was Mr. Richardson lying face up in a pool of blood. His face had been badly bloodied, which was why his neighbor couldn't even be sure it was him. Like he had a big injury around his eye. He's just clearly had facial trauma. But his fists were raised up, up above him and balled up and looked as though he were ready for a fight. So when the officers approached, they had their weapons raised because they didn't know what had happened and they thought he was like ready to fight them laying on the floor. Like he was still, they didn't know what was happening. But as they came closer, it became clear that this man had been dead for some time. And what had happened was rigor mortis had set in and his hands froze up in that position up in front of him. Mm. I know it's a stance that looks like action, I guess, from a distance, but is not. Yeah. So it's strange that it does that, you know? Yeah. That's what There's that ghost ship that I forget where it, it was, but people think that something wild and supernatural happened oh, yeah. on that ship because mm-hmm. the, when they found the bodies on there, they all looked like they were like stuffed. Active. Like in a, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but it, it's probably just rigor mortis. It's just how they froze or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's a bizarre detail, but yeah. But whoever Mark Richardson had encountered had not taken him without a fight. That was clear. Though his body was badly torn up by stab wounds, um, he had defensive wounds as well, and a screwdriver lay on the floor next to him. Nearby on the floor was a black-handled knife. The blade was mangled and bent, indicating it had been used with more force than it was intended for. So this, like, kitchen knife. Mm -hmm. So they're not really intended for violence, obviously. You're supposed to, like, you know chop some food with it. Right. Uh, so it didn't fare well. Except Officers. those like ninja knives. No, oh, man. It's that brand. It's like really good. But you uh, just need to get better kitchenware, yeah. I guess, is the name of the game. <laughs> but the officers took notice of this and think, okay, well, this could be the murder weapon. We don't know who used it, but clearly it has been used. The other two officers had followed the trail of blood that led up the stairs toward the bedroom. Now, having spoken to the neighbor's and gotten themselves a cursory knowledge of the house's occupants, they were afraid that what they were looking for up there was children. But the officers could only hope that they were wrong. First, they encountered a pink floral bedroom, which was a little messy, but there was no blood or sign of violence, and so the officers breathed a momentary sigh of relief. Though something had clearly happened up there, because the hallway carpet was spongy and sticky and thick with blood and a knife sat next to the bathroom sink. Clearly, there had been like a half-baked attempt to rinse off this other knife, but in light of everything that is everywhere else, I can't really tell you why they picked that one thing to do. Right. Huh. Yeah. Now, all of their attention, the officers, that is, was on the second bedroom, and that was the bedroom that clearly belonged to a little boy. And this room had been sprayed carpet to ceiling with blood. It was a horrible scene. 
The occupant, eight-year-old Jacob, was still in his bed in his underwear, dead from stab wounds and a slashed throat. Oh, poor, poor little guy. This was a violent and bloody way to go, but the officers quoted said that at the very, very least, it had been quick. Okay. I know that is not really much of a consolation, but, I mean, it's all it's, I can offer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then they entered the master bedroom, which was relatively undisturbed. The attack on Mr. and Mrs. Richardson had clearly occurred entirely on the other floors of the home. From the information they had gathered, the police knew that they were missing one family member, a girl, who they thought had been most likely abducted before or during this event. After questioning neighbors and friends, they discovered that Jasmine, the family's 12-year-old daughter, was not at a friend's house sleeping over. So they're like, well, maybe she just wasn't home that night, but that's, that's not what it was. Um, and she wasn't like hiding somewhere on the property because a lot of times kids hide in situations that are like super scary like that and, and officers will find them. Like remember when we did Megan Kanka and they were like, she's probably hiding in a storm cellar somewhere. Right. So they looked everywhere they possibly could, but Jasmine wasn't hiding anywhere. And then they declared that she was indeed missing and that they knew that it was urgent that they find her because whatever had befallen the rest of the family was clearly on a course for her as well. Mm-hmm. So in order to find Jasmine, the officers, much like us, would have to get to know this family as a whole a little better. So let's set the stage for this ghastly event. First off, it's 2006. Oh. Yeah. Leslie, can you give us a little taste of what might have been happening then? I had just moved to Cape May the year before and was experiencing the coldest and wettest spring I had ever seen. Oh. Until this one. All right. What else was going on in the world? So at the beginning of the year, we were we were all still trying to process Jen and Brad's divorce Ugh. and weren't sure how we felt about Brad and Angelina, who were expecting a baby in May. That would be Shiloh. Trashy. <sighs> yes, said it. I know. And then, like, we kind of grew to like them, and then they broke up. I never really liked them. I, I also said it. about it. Ooh. I know a lot of people liked him. <sighs> Before keeping up with the Kardashians. Ugh. Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian, who was working as a celebrity stylist still, were BFFs and always going out on the town. Good times. Yeah. Other BFFs were Lauren Conrad and Heidi Montag, mm. who had their new show, The Hills. I loved that show. I would love if they um, remade that show where everybody was zombies and made it The Hills Have Eyes, but like The Hills. <laughs> still a reality show. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody make that. Yeah. So Lauren had just said goodbye to Laguna Beach and was heading to Hollywood with her bestie Heidi to take on the town. How'd that go? Well, (laughs) take on the town they did. Heidi can now be seen savagely eating raw meat on the streets. Oh, God, that's right. (laughs) Oh, no. She's doing good. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift was just a bright-eyed country teen excited to release her first album in October. She wasn't the only Taylor to become famous. Taylor Hicks won American Idol. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great Just hair. as famous. Really excited. Yeah. All right. Just as famous and cute. Yeah, went, went just as well for him. Yeah. <laughs> Paris Hilton, who is a big star in, 20, in 2006, uh, also released her first album and a hit song, Stars Are Blind, in August. Boy, great. I, I it's couldn't, a great song. couldn't sing you that if I tried. No? No. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, the stars are crazy. I don't know. Yeah, I can't you can't either. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you mine. Oh, all right. Something like that. Good. It's a good song. It goes on way too long. 
but it's it's a good song. She's a DJ now, so she should know when to cut it off and blend it into really? another song. Yeah, she's like DJ's big events. Shit. Yeah. I like her so much more now than I did in 2006. I didn't know she DJed. Though. Yeah, that's, that's like so a big, funny. her big thing. That's, well, mm-hmm. go girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Britney Spears dyed her hair black, gave birth to her second son, and divorced K-Fed. And that's all, that's, that's all we need to say about Britney big Spears year. in 2006. Big year. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Lance Bass came out as gay. Oh, we so, love Lance. Pride Month. Shakira and Wyclef's song, Hips Don't Lie, was the song of my summer. They don't lie. <laughs> they sure don't. Um, I I feel like I talked about this before because um, we have done 2006. But oh, we have? Okay. And so I was in college and we were trying to get t-shirts for our athletic training class. And we went with uh, We uh, we Run With Scissors oh. or something like that. Because, you know, they say like don't run with scissors, mm-hmm. but it's like we can run with scissors. Special. But I wanted it to be our hips don't lie because hips c- can also mean history, inspection, palpation, and special tests. We all get that. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted it to say that. And like everybody is like, I don't think anyone will get it. And I was like, it's just for us. Like it's a dorky t-shirt for the athletic <laughs> trainers. Who else are we wearing this for? You have to have hips in all caps. Yeah. With like They're little, fine. yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. Get it together, those people. I still think it was an opportunity miss because Agreed. it was a huge song then. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I fucking loved it. It's like anyone can run with scissors. It's ill-advised, but you can. Yeah, but we legally could. I mean, I legally <laughs> can too. I was licensed too. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying. But I like could right now. I went to school for Try and it. stop me. I'm going to do it. Holly, I went to school to run to with To run with scissors? Yes. Perfect. Okay. That's a great degree. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's about all I'm using it for. Don't ask me what I use my degree for. <laughs> uh, there were some other really great songs this year. We had Daniel Powder, Bad Day. Oh. Remember that one? That guy, you had a bad day. That guy. Taking one down. Yeah. Said he said, said. Then it's turn it around. Yeah. You had a bad day. Good. Thank you. <laughs> there was Fergie, London Bridge. Oh. Do you remember that one? No. How come every time you come around my oh, London, yeah, yeah. London Bridge, want to go down or something? Whoa. London, Fergie. London, want to go down. Going down like a London Bridge. Yeah. All right. Rihanna, SOS. Cool. Yeah. I love that song. Gnarls Barkley, Crazy. That was a big one. Mm-hmm. Cascada. Every time we touch, I get this feeling. And every time we That is only that old. It feels like that song should be 100 years old. It's so good. But it feels it's, like it's from my, like, way earlier childhood. I know. I know. Throwing it back. <laughs> I feel so young when that song comes on. <laughs> like, my hips don't lie. They don't lie. Yeah. There's no pins in them. You don't have to run with scissors or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the cute and innocent Miley Cyrus was just starting her career out as Hannah Montana. Oh, boy. Other brand new shows in 2006 were... 30 Rock. Oh, I love 30 Rock. Heroes. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. The show Heroes. I'm like, yeah, they are yeah. heroes. <laughs> no? All right. Psych. My oh, Boys. Do you remember that show? Did I do. you ever watch it? I loved that show with Jim Gaffigan. He was on it. Oh, no. I thought you were talking about Psych. No, I don't remember no. that one with Jim Gaffigan. But I do like his stand-up. <laughs> I'm going like a weird order the way I'm telling you these. It's like, my boys. <laughs> hey, my boys. Yeah. Then there was Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Listen, I love Guy. No shame. <laughs> I know. I like him now, too. I was... 
He's a delight. He is. He's really nice. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry I ever doubted you. Give so much back to charity. I know. He's, he's doing the damn thing. He is. We love Guy. Get it. Get it, Guy. Or is it Guy? This guy. <laughs> Guy Fiere. <laughs> That's it. That's how he says it. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook was now open to everyone 13 and over, not just college students. The first tweet went out. Oh. And iTunes started selling movies and shows so you can watch them on your tiny little iPad screens. And then in response to the rise in like MP3 players, Microsoft came out with Zune. So, oh, yeah, that was a thing. It was a thing. Cool. Not so much now. No. So None of us are Zooning. No. They they wished, though. They like, were like, they everyone's sure going to Zoom. Forever. No. Mm-mm. No. We're Give just going to pot it up. Yep. All right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was, that was 2006. Okay. 2006 was a pretty fun year. Yeah. I'll take it. So our story has taken us back to Canada this week, but we're a pretty fair distance from our previous stop in British Columbia. This is in southeast Alberta along the South Saskatchewan River, and the town is delightfully known as Medicine Hat. Ooh. Which I first was like, this is fun, but I bet it's racist, and it is. Oh, no. It is, of course, a total butchering of the language describing the headdresses of Blackfoot healers. Oh. It's like, that's their medicine hat. Oh, fuck. (laughs) I know. And it was really fun to say for a hot minute until my brain kicked in and was like, oh, that's bad. So... Though the neighborhoods in Medicine Hat themselves have a very small town vibe, so it has a lot of pockets of neighborhoods. So the story takes place in like a very nice neighborhood, but Medicine Hat as a whole is very big with a population of over 63,000. Oh, wow. Yeah, but in your neighborhood, it's like its own ecosystem. You feel like you're in a small town. It is known for its high quality of life for families and for affordable living. Even now, a four-bedroom house in a nice neighborhood can sell and frequently does for under $300,000. Mm. The average price of a four-bedroom house is like $274,000. Wow. I know. I mean, maybe where you guys are from, that is not a good deal. But where we are from, that is a crazy good deal. I know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe we need to go to Medicine Hat. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who just bought a four-bedroom house in a nice neighborhood, I can tell you that that is a very fair price. Medicine Hat has some beautiful parks. It has a junior hockey team. A local college. I know. And is generally considered to just be like a nice place to raise a family. That's where you want to go when you have your family. It's like Letterkenny. I mentioned Sudbury in a minute. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And only like six people are going to get excited. And it's only the people that have watched Shorzy. (laughs) But that's okay. Just know that it's coming. (laughs) But crimes like this one are pretty shocking. And Medicine Hat was surely not used to or prepared for it at all. I mean, the police did a fantastic job. But it was just so shocking. Mm Mm-hmm. The Richardsons were a pretty nice middle-class family. They were, know that this is not a judgmental remark, they were unremarkable in the best way. So you wouldn't have talked about them for any, like, scandal or anything like that. They were just doing great. They were just living their lives. They were. They were just living their lives. A former neighbor called them, quote, the family we all wish we had. I know. Calling Deborah, quote, the cement that built a pleasant, happy home. And Mark, a man whose only plan in life was to, quote, do right by his family. So sweet. It is. I know. Mark and Deborah were not without their struggles in their early years, though they were both kind of like hell-raising rebels when they were younger. The pair had met when they were both in treatment for serious substance abuse and were living at the time in Sudbury, Ontario. Mm-hmm. But they both had, like, 
dedicatedly went through their programs and came out on the other side stronger. No relapses. Like they were dedicated to the sober life. Mark had, I said they were kind of like Hellraisers when they were younger. Mark was like in a motorcycle gang and stuff. Oh, okay. Like kind of a burly, tough guy, but like heart of gold type situation. So they just like lived their life young. Exactly. And then yeah. they were like, we just now want to be adults. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. They both um, came out on the other side of this stronger too. And though most therapists will probably advise you if you're an addict not to try and marry another addict, somehow these two really did make it work. They encouraged one another and stayed devoted to a clean life until the day they unfortunately died. They were married in Ontario in 1991 and had their first child, Jasmine, in 1993, followed by their son, Tyler Jacob, in 1998. The pair lived their lives devoted to freeing others of the shackles of drug and alcohol dependency. Now, as I mentioned, they were very devoted to the program. And part of any kind of like Addicts Anonymous program is is doing service to others. So they really lived it. They were always helping others. They became sponsors. They were there even if it was just to call their people early in the morning to get them started on a positive note so they wouldn't use. They would call like people that were in their groups and just be like, hey, I just want like to let you know that this morning, I think you're amazing and you're going to do so good today. Oh, love that. Isn't that nice? Yeah. So they would just start wake up and be like, oh, yeah, my day's going to be good. I want somebody to do that to me. You know, I have a friend that does that. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, weirdo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. I don't, I don't need that. I don't need that kind of energy. Yeah, here. I'm sleepy. <laughs> but it is really nice. Especially if you're like someone who is like kind of wrestling some demons and might wake up in the morning and go, I don't know, maybe I'm going to use today. Yeah. But that little tiny thing is what kind of like puts you through. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was like a really kind thing. Yeah. Through hard work and determination and a bit of spiritualism, the pair was able to move on up to their home in Medicine Hat in 2003. Mark had gone back to school and gotten a job at Incana, which is a large Canadian gas and oil company. So he'd gone back to school for like electrical engineering and gotten this really nice, steady, full of benefits type job. Okay. And Deborah had gone from cleaning houses to opening a small holistic therapy studio in her home. Oh. Yeah, I mentioned before that they were spiritual. Deborah was very into like holistic spiritualism and healing. So she liked... A lot of the indigenous spirituality that you would find in tribes in Canada, she's very interested in that. I don't know if she had any indigenous blood in her herself that mm-hmm. isn't in any of the things you can read she may have. But she had like a giant dream catcher and she really believed in like what the creator meant for her and her family. And and that's probably a lot of stuff that got her through addiction, I imagine. Yeah. But she had gotten licensed in some things and practiced predominantly Reiki which is a Japanese therapy where you almost touch people, but you don't. Yeah. I don't know much about it. But it's I, like, I think you probably know a couple of things like about it. Palm healing. You're just transferring energy. You're or just something. transferring energy. So there's a level of it that I grasp, mm-hmm. which I think is more of a comforting thing. So if it's, I do feel like it's slightly placebo. I, yeah. But, we we radiate energy mm-hmm. and we have this isn't going to be the most scientific thing it's but it, we all have i think like waves that come off of us okay so it it does make sense to me okay if if we actually can control the vibe that mm-hmm. we give out to people so like if as the therapist if you're trying to heal someone emotionally like take stress away yeah you can either pull it Mm -hmm. or you can give it and it's like a little 
was that like call and response mm-hmm. kind of thing happening. So it makes somewhat sense to me. I feel like you would have to be like your patient would have to be very receptive to the treatment. Yeah, you'd have to be very receptive, though. I mean, I guess that's the thing. Like some people who don't really believe it have then found like, oh, wow, it did work. But okay. who's to say that they weren't receptive to begin yeah. with? There, It's the same thing with like crystals and all of yeah. that where you just kind of have to there, – there is something coming off of these crystals. Right. And it might help to like balance you out somehow. Sure. Um, that's all I could really grasp. But there are people that – can say they can perform Reiki on you from, like, across the country, which I'm not sure. That feels like they're just stealing my money. It feels like when chiropractors say that they can give you your treatment over Zoom. I and really you're want like, Leslie That's not to a thing. do a case about a chiropractor because she has so many good things to say. Not good things about chiropractors, <laughs> but very educational things. I found them to be educational. <laughs> anyway. Today's not that Today's day not for the, the day. No. No. But, uh, but yeah. I am, I'm not against Reiki. I've had to learn it through doing massage therapy. Okay. But like I said, I think it's a, I think there's a spiritual aspect of it. If you're somebody that's like a spiritualist. Sure. And then there is a scientific reason why it can, why some of it can work. But I do know that they do other things in Reiki that I think is what's actually Working. I'm not 100% I, sure about it, but that's what she was. That's yeah. what she did. That was her main practice. Yeah. Um, I feel like they do pressure points too, which is what I think actually works. I don't know. Pressure points fucking work. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if uh, any of you guys have done Reiki. Yeah, let us know. I would love to know more about it. I didn't. I mean, you know, I go down a lot of rabbit holes, but this this mm-hmm. podcast episode is very long. So yeah, I could. I, I have had a session of it because of How the massage about therapy. It? Well, it was great because I like napped. So I, I felt very refreshed after. Were you less stressed? Because I got to nap. That yeah. works then. And it mm-hmm. worked then. Yeah. But um Perfect. I'm who knows? Maybe maybe it was the Reiki. That's what maybe I Maybe it was. Yeah. I'm the kind of person when I get a massage, I need you to like annihilate me. Yeah. You have experienced this. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. it's not good. Anyway. The kids were healthy, happy, kind, and intelligent children by all accounts. Tyler liked, or Jacob, sorry, liked all the normal kid things. He liked Pokemon cards and Star Wars and playing hockey and spending time with his friends and family and running around. He was just like a normal, sweet little boy. Um, At one point, he said he wanted to be like a police when he grew up. He liked running really fast, just like a cute kid. Jasmine um, took after her mother, showing special interest in like holistic practices and spirituality. She considered herself to be Wiccan, but she was not. I think she just liked the word because people consider them to be witches and that's like cool and dark when you're 12. Because for all of her light and airy interests in her youth, like her fluffy pink bedroom and her endless preteen phone calls and giggles and stuffed animals and bright smile, Jasmine had also developed an interest in all things darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for those of you, if you are out there, I don't know if they exist in our listening audience or not, that would like to blame this whole thing on the Wicca business, I have a great idea. Don't do that. Wicca is an earth-based modern religion whose roots far predate Christianity. And if I tell you it's modern paganism, I might scare some gentle souls off. But that's just because the word pagan has a horrible reputation that it does not deserve. There's a lot more to say here, but I'll save it for another episode where the that's the focus. But suffice it to say, they are not a violent people. Quite the opposite, actually. If you're concerned with rituals that they do, then you should probably stop going to church because 
communion and confession are way scarier rituals. Yeah. Um, and if you don't see that, we probably have some stuff to talk about. They also look a lot less like the crow and more like they feed the crows. Yeah. From their yard full of native pollinator gardens, medicinal herbs, and wind chimes. Why did I just think of the woman from Home Alone, too? Like the lady in New York City. Oh, with the, the birds. <laughs> I love her. But yeah, if you're Wicca and that's your backyard, please invite me to your yard so we can make flower crowns and lay in the grass. Oh, yes. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. Please and thank you. So anyway, Jasmine Richardson took Wicca less to be about crafts than more about the craft, like the movie. She used electrical tape to fashion a pentagram at the foot of her bed. Mm. She began dressing in all black, and not just like a black shirt and some leggings. We're talking fishnets and short skirts and vinyl and dog collars and chains and high boots and extreme makeup. Now, before we all judge her, like a lot of the news outlets seem to like to do, let me just start by saying that playing dress-up is fun. Mm -hmm. Super fun. I love a costume. I love makeup. I wear winged eyeliner every day of my life. People cannot handle my face without it. I for sure went through a teen girl witchy phase. Did you? Um, I went through more like a slight skater phase. Okay. I didn't think I could pull because I didn't like makeup. But not even like just the witchy stuff where you're like, oh, man, I can do some magic spells with my friends. Oh, yeah, I guess I definitely did See? That. A lot to most of I mean, us I'm definitely did. I'm still in that phase. Is I would that love that. <laughs> I don't know that I left it either. We're just going to say. But that phase that for some reason all girls seem to go through, I think it feels rebellious and sexy but kind of safe. Right. You know, because you're predominantly just with other girls doing right. stuff. You buy some candles and some tarot cards, maybe a couple books. You wear some silver jewelry with symbols on it that you don't understand and then pretend you're performing rituals. Yeah. It's great. I get it. And I went to Catholic school, so like oh, I boy. was terrified every time so, I did it. So did Jasmine, though. Yeah. She actually went to like a kind of fancy private like Christian type school, mm -hmm. which is kind of surprising because her family wasn't hyper Christian. I think it was the educational aspect that's of it what, was just that's there. That's why I went there because yeah. I wasn't Catholic. That makes sense. Didn't people think you were Jewish because you weren't Catholic? They <laughs> and there's my, only two. <laughs> yeah, they thought that my my brother made some comment in like fifth grade about being Jewish. Like I think he happened to be sick or out of school one day mm -hmm. and he just said jokingly to a friend how he like took off for the holiday and his teacher realized that it was a Jewish holiday. So she was like, oh, that's so nice that his like Jewish parents like let him come to this school. So then they, but then they thought that he looked Jewish. But when they looked at me, because my brother is like, he has olive skin tone. He he looks Italian. He's yeah. like the Italian side of the family. So he can kind of look like whatever. Yeah, sometimes. I can see that. But I'm just like pale with like blonde. I'm very German and like waspy. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just, <laughs> so they looked at like my curly blonde hair and were like, I don't see the Jewish in her. <laughs> But all right. <laughs> My best friends in high school was a Jewish girl with yeah. pale blonde hair and blue eyes. So you never know. Yeah. I know. I mean, I told them not to judge me. I was like, that's ridiculous. Stop this. Yeah. I can't stand it. Kind of racist. Yeah. Get out of here. And they were probably <laughs> like, well, we don't know how to deal with you. We're Christian people. Goodbye. Yeah. So the dangerous part about Jasmine's teen girl witchy phase was twofold. First, it happened early. Jasmine was only 11 when it started. I'm going to remind our listeners of a couple of things right now. One, my daughter is 11. She looks like a full child. Yes. She's barely 60 pounds. She wears a size 7 children's clothing. She has little tiny doll feet. She 
is a kid. She still has like a kid voice. Yeah. She's 100% a kid. Mm -hmm. Granted, there are definitely kids in her grade that are more mature and like bigger looking than she is. But like that's the reflection of the age. Like that you're still a child. Mm -hmm. Um, And to help remind you guys of this, I have um, a few examples of 12-year-olds, famous 12-year-old characters, so that you can really have a reference for how old Jasmine was at the heart of this. So first of all, uh, Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone 2. 12. Okay. That's a 12-year-old. Um, all the kids in season one of Stranger Things, 12, mm-hmm. looking like tiny little children. Um, who else? If you're older, all the kids in Stand By Me, mm-hmm. also 12. Somehow looked a little older than the Stranger Things kids, but there's yeah. an example. Um, Anna Klumsky in My Girl 2. So yeah. Veda in My Girl 2 is 12. Um, Thora Birch in Now and Then. And Jasper Leslie, the Olsen twins in Passport to Paris. Oh, so cute. Mm-hmm. They were 12. That's mm-hmm. what 12 looks like. It yeah. does not, it's not an adult. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be so easy. I remind you a lot throughout the next rest of the podcast of how old she is, but it's so, so easy to forget what a child she is. Right. So she starts out at 11, going into her gothy wishy phase. Jasmine um, had matured physically very fast at this point in time. And so her body looks a lot different in the like leather skirt and crop top than other girls her age did. Not that I would be letting my kid wear a leather skirt crop top, but to each their own. And that is not her fault. It's not. Her body did what her body did. She didn't make it do that. And it also does not mean that her mind or emotions matured any faster. She had breasts and hips, but still hung around kids who believed in Santa Claus. Yeah. This duality is very, very important. Jasmine and her friends would also, like, pose for pictures that they later used online doing things like sucking on lollipops and pouting and, like, you know, pushing whatever boobs they had together and staring into the camera. And they always looked like that infantilized sex kitten image. And if you get me started on how this is a major, major problem that society has created, this podcast will never be over. Mm -hmm. Little girl, not the look we should ever strive for to attract sexual attention from men. Yeah. That is a deep deep problem. But this was also, so this was 2006. So like I said, they had like Facebook, you would have to just be 13 to get on. Right, which is, she lies. Right, we'll get into that later. But she can already be on MySpace. Yeah, which she is. So, but think about it. The men that are attracted to this aesthetic that is like a little girl are pretty gross. Schoolgirl porn is a problem. It's a problem. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, You shouldn't be attracted to children. Jasmine and her friends also started listening to Marilyn Manson, mm-hmm. which everyone was so afraid of, because of course they did. Marilyn Manson is also a problem, but not for the reason the church thinks. These girls would try to assimilate into any part of that, like, alterna goth culture that they could get their hands on. And a lot of times, that part of the culture was from an older boy. Mm-hmm. By the middle of sixth grade, Jasmine was sporting her new look full-time. And that was probably because this look was reinforced with attention and not just from her fellow pseudo-goth tween friends and the school's administration who had started to complain to her parents, but also from, and here's the second part of the danger, grown-ass men on the internet. Mm -hmm. Men on the internet is maybe the scariest phrase any parent can ever hear. Yeah. That's terrifying. They are almost 100% of the time awful. I had an internet pen pal when I was in high school that somehow I met through like AIM and it's a miracle that he was not hard. I don't know how I found this person, the one person that wasn't horrible. 
Yeah. He was in college and perfectly nice and never crossed any lines, never asked for weird pics, never tried to convince me to be weird or sexual. We talked on the phone a couple times and then it just faded away. Wherever you are, dude who said he was from California and was nice to chat with for a 16-year-old girl who never got any attention from boys, bless you. Yeah. <laughs> he was great. A lovely human being and like the only good example of meeting yeah. a dude on the internet. <laughs> bless you. You are one of a kind. Boys wanted nothing to do with me until I was well into college. So <laughs> kept me going. <laughs> anyway, Jasmine got herself signed up for several internet forums at this point. Uh, she started with a site called MindViz, which I had never heard of and couldn't find any information on. Mm, I don't know. Um, that is, maybe it's just Canadian. Oh, true. It, yeah. c- it could just not be something we They're are like familiar. in a whole other world over there. Could have been. I mean, then one of them I mentioned is just Canadian coming up. And then she went on to Zorpia, Vampire Freaks, uh, another one I'll get to in a minute, and eventually MySpace, of course, because everybody was on MySpace. So let's break this down. In November of 2005, Jasmine joined VampireFreaks.com. Now, if you look this up now, you're only going to get a clothing site. But that's not where it started. Vampire Freaks was a social networking site specifically for guts. Had you heard of it? No. I know. I, I like vaguely rang like a couple bells, but it's not something I ever would have like felt safe to log on to. Yeah. I was a scared child. <laughs> Here's the, the Wikipedia rundown on it because we don't have time for everything. Vampire Freaks was, a pre- was previously a social networking site created by site owner Jet Berylson in 1999. It began with a small number of forums dedicated to goth and industrial music. Over the years, it grew to be a large social network with thousands of members. Website features included user groups, which were called cults, problematic, and allowed users to create their own communities or forums within the website. The website also had event pages, music interviews, models, and frequent design contests. It also featured a popular message board, which is a major component of the site's success. The site's main topic of focus, aside from socializing, was the music content users created. So if you made music, you could share your own music there. That was a thing they liked to do. Jet, the creator, regularly updated the site with information concerning not only the bands, but also various alternative events. Many people found love on the site, and um, that was a focus that they had on Valentine's Day, where couples that met through the site submitted stories of how they met their matches. Cute. Premium memberships were also offered for a fee, obviously, with features such as, and this is problematic, the ability to upload more pictures, see who views the user's profile, and powerbomb the unwanted Vampire Freaks members. I'm not 100% sure what that is, but I know it involves internet harassment that you could pay into. Weird. I don't love it. On June 17th of 2019, Vampire Freaks shut down, um, announced they would shut down, I'm sorry, in February 2020 because they wanted to focus on it being an online store. Um, and the guy wanted to focus on his real life and an event called Dark Side of the Con, an alternative gathering that he had begun to organize. So you could, the social aspect of this closed down in February of 2020. But now you can go to the cons. Now you can go to the cons. Yeah. I think that because there's a lot of scandal attached to it, that's probably why this guy actually walked away from the social networking part of it. But I can't speak to that. I don't know that that's true. But I I know that we can see how this could be slightly problematic. It seems to be encouraging cyberbullying. And it was linked to several other crimes, such as the Dawson College shooting. Um, two men in Toronto who were charged with carrying out the bidding of a woman they met on the website by stabbing a 12-year-old boy 73 times, killing him and drinking his blood. Oh, my God. Yep. 
Also in Australia in 2007, a 47-year-old man and his 17-year-old son from Victoria were accused of using VampireFreaks.com to create fictitious characters to prey on young girls. On January 21st of 2010, the man was found guilty of the murder of Carly Ryan, a schoolgirl he had groomed via MySpace. Wow. So there are problems. Yeah, I would say. Mm -hmm. And there are more than just that. There are other cases attached to this. But here's the thing I need to convey. Being goth isn't problematic. That's not what we're talking about here. I know lots of goths. They're lovely, mild-mannered, academic-natured people with focused interests. Mm-hmm. My house is full of bones and candles and skull paintings, and none of you are running away from me. Because you can't. It's just my voice. Because <laughs> I'm in your phone. Um, <laughs> but th- this site created an atmosphere of chaos and extreme behavior, and that's what encourages horrible events. Yeah. This in my experience, is pretty opposite of what actual goth people are like. They may like some loud music and evocative art, but they're not interested in actively hurting people. It's wrong and dangerous to place blame of things like this on their community. People who are attracted to darkness for the sake of just darkness and who are looking for a place to misbehave are always going to think they're welcome in that world because they are misinformed. Mm -hmm. So, my little goths. I know. We love you. This is not about you. <laughs> just have to say that because there's so much goth blaming in this site and yeah. I don't like it. Well, that's like that uh, Rod Farrell case too with the vampire. This is very similar. Yeah. So, on the Vampire Freak site, Jasmine went by the screen name X Killer Kitty X. Ooh. And claimed she was 15. Okay. Still a child. But yes, whatever. <laughs> Two weeks later, she joined Zorpia.com. Sounds like such an alien. Zorp, thing. Zorp, Zorp. Yeah, yeah it does. But Zorbia, as far as I can tell, is is and always has been a Chinese social media site, as in it was designed for people in China. Okay. So just like Canada has them and we have them, this one is like just China. Now, this probably made it a pretty good testing ground because there was very little danger of meeting someone in person. If you're talking yeah. to all dudes from China, they're not going to come to your house. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they will, but it's way less likely. On Zorbia, Jasmine was known as Runaway Devil. Not bad, right? And this is the handle that she liked and stuck to. It's catchy. She's good at these names, though. Yeah, man. Not bad. So in December of 2005, she also joined a site called Nexopia, which we have seen as problematic before because this is the site that serial killer Cody Lejbikoff used to attract his youngest victims. Remember, Cody killed uh, three people on the Highway of Tears episode. He was the young, like country boy killer Mm -hmm. and his youngest victim was just like that girl that was blind in one eye like it was like a really terrible thing that was off this yes he met her off this site because it's networking for teens yeah and anywhere you get something that's like this is just for teens a bunch of older pros no it's never safe yeah like those teen only chat rooms not good doesn't work that way full of pervs anyway Nextopia was a social site, and this one actually was Canadian, like I said earlier, and it was based out of Alberta. So you don't get much more local than that for Jasmine. You're obviously going to meet people you can meet in real life on that. Mm-hmm. And um, she kept her name uh, Runaway Devil there, but she added more information, including that her age was 15 and this real gem of a bio. Ooh. Uh, Ready? Yes. I am the almighty Jazz, although it's spelled Jags, J-A-X-Z. Bow down. I think deep thoughts. I am quite emotional and my mood is ever-changing, although I can be very good at hiding my feelings. I don't trust easily. I either have lots of energy or very little. I like to make attempts at poetry and anime. 
I make wookie noises and often scare small children. I am afraid of llamas. I am told I am mentally our word that we don't use. Often I am loud and bounce a lot. When I'm hyper, I like to dress up and want an Edward Scissorhands outfit. Other people live in my head with me. I like random questions. I like to pretend I'm a gangster sometimes. Don't worry, I'm not. Yeah, I sometimes watch Teen Titans because I'm that cool. I play guitar and I suck. So she's like... A kid! She's like quippy though. Yeah. Like she is... Like she's that was, a kid! But like I'd read that and think that was really fun. Yeah, if you yeah. were... Yeah. But also like, forgive me, Edgelord. I do not want to offend your head voices. Like, come on. She definitely thinks all of that is super cool, which is great. You're right. It was a clever thing for a 12-year-old to say. It's full of buzzwords and phrases that would get a laugh in sixth grade Mm -hmm. because she's in sixth grade or maybe seventh at this point. Um, But still, she's 12. Mm -hmm. But apparently, a lot of other people bought this hook, line, and sinker, and mostly because the photos attached to these profiles were designed to make you think certain things about her. Thirst strap. What? Was it a thirst trap? Yeah, it was a thirst trap. Specifically for like gothy goth goths. Right. Did she totally understand what these photos were saying about her? No, probably not. But they were something men liked and girls envied, so they couldn't be all bad, right? But it's important that we recognize that as old and provocative as she may have looked, still a child, and an adult cannot have sex with even a 15-year-old. That's always just rape. Yeah. But online, Jasmine could be whoever she wanted to be. And that is addictive to a lot of people. That's why we have catfish. Yeah. Thank God for catfish. I fucking love it. Neve Shulman was in my hometown a couple weeks ago, and I was so upset I wasn't there. Oh, man. Was, oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah he was running on trails in Bordentown. Yeah. God damn it. I was like, please, someone find him and hug him for me. That's not creepy. <laughs> Anyway, and but that is the universal appeal of being online, right? You can kind of like curate yourself to be whatever you want. People still do that on social media. Your Instagram life, for the most part, is probably not your real life. Mm-hmm. Unless you're me and you're really bad at lying. I know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, mine's, mine's, mine's pretty, pretty honest. But yeah, you know people accurate. who have a beautifully curated Instagram and they're a fucking mess. Yeah. They're everywhere. You just kind of cast out a line and see who bites. So enter. Jeremy Allen Steinke. There are a lot of conflicting accounts of how Jeremy and Jasmine met. We will get into what she says in a little bit. It may have been at a punk rock show. It may have been on one of those websites in sort of what I would consider a predatory way where they were both members. We can't be sure because we only have their word to go on. Um, But somehow, we'll get to it in a minute, they found each other and fell in love. Jeremy Steinke, however, was a 23-year-old man. Ugh. Now, because he knew her online, it would appear that Jeremy thought Jasmine was older. Some places, I'm going to get into this more in a little bit. I mean, her most of her profiles say that she was 15. But um, that's still unacceptable. Yeah. He says later that he thought she was even older than that. But again, like, you can say anything. Mm-hmm. It should be noted that in most detailed accounts of this crime, Jeremy is given a much longer and more in-depth biography, complete with psychological analysis and sympathetic reasoning for his actions, which those people can fuck right off. Why are we making a world of excuses for this guy? Yeah, I don't understand. Well, we're going to like talk about it all when we finish. Um, But one other thing I should add into this before we continue, because 
Jeremy gets all of his psychological stuff put all over the world is that later, like after everything happens, a psychologist diagnoses Jasmine with oppositional defiance disorder, which is something I'm familiar with. I've seen it before. So have you. Mm-hmm. And it's that's it's basically um, a disorder wherein, and it usually phases out when people get older. They almost always grow out of it. You just have a big issue with authority. They don't like to be told what to do. And they purposefully push buttons. Like they will say things to egg you on and make you mad until you like can't handle it anymore. Those are hallmarks of ODD. Another one is like when they get mad, they kind of black out. They're just mad and you can't really get through to them for a while. Fine. We'll put that into the world. I, you, We can talk about this when we are all done with all the information. I don't think that affects like anything Jasmine does. But mm-hmm. I feel like she deserves to have her stuff out there too. So let's just get one thing straight before we launch into this. One part of this pair is a child and the other is a grown-ass man. A weird and troubled grown-ass man, as we'll find out, but still grown. I'm going to give you all the stinky stuff in like the Reader's Digest summary because I don't think it's fair otherwise, to be honest. Jeremy lived with his mother in a trailer in Medicine Hat for most of the tenure of the story. He moves in with roommates in the very end. His mother was an alcoholic who, through a string of failed marriages, exposed her children to a host of violent men over the years. Jeremy's biological father was also an alcoholic who would come home from work every day and just whip the shit out of him. Yeah. Jeremy's mother and biological father broke up for good when he was about three. There are some varying reports on that age because they got divorced and back together, but it's about the time. But his mother, whose name was Jackie, by the way, quickly remarried a man who wasn't much better. This one would also hit Jeremy and his siblings, because of course he had siblings, but focused most of his aggression on Jackie, whom Jeremy would then try to defend. So that's just another layer of psychological horror. Clearly that didn't last long either, and Jackie married a third time. Her third husband took the violence to the next level, and he would hold Jeremy down and just punch him in the face. Ooh, so rough. Yeah. And in one case, he slammed his head into a deep freezer. which are usually metal. Yeah. So yeah, I'm paying attention to the repeated head injuries here. And I'm sure there is some frontal lobe damage in there because of all of this like head beating. And, And this, as we know, would make Jeremy more impulsive and less responsive to danger or possible consequences. Talked about this before. And that makes sense. But also, it's not a crutch. You don't get to blame everything on that. Right. You still know the law. Yeah. Of being 23. Absolutely. A young girl. Yeah, nobody, I mean, like, we've mentioned head injuries in a lot of our, like, bigger serial killer type cases, but none of them ever said, like, oh, yeah, it made me have no idea what right from wrong was. They're like, oh, no, I just, like, did things. I knew they were wrong. I just did them. Yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't care about the consequence. Exactly. Or I didn't think about what would happen to me if I did this, but I knew doing this was wrong. Yeah. I just did it anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. You may have a box of matches, but there has to be something to set on fire to have a blaze, Mm -hmm. basically. Now, to some kids, this kind of situation would create like a safe haven at school. Like they would escape home to go to school, but this didn't work for Jeremy. He was mercilessly bullied. The kids called him Stinky Mm. because your last name can't be Stinky and not be called Stinky. Right. He was consistently late for school because there was no one at home to wake him up and get him there, Mm. which that's sad. And um, his teachers would really get on him for that. And there's one report of him like exploding at a teacher because he's like, I don't have an alarm clock. My mom won't buy me an alarm clock. No one wakes me up. I don't know what to do. 
And his classmates are like, oh, that was him being angry. I'm like, no, that was, that was, that kid's having a horrible time and you just humiliated him. That's what that is. Right. But he, mean, he has an anger issue. But he is angry. Maybe. I mean, like, yeah. that, that's frustrating. That is very frustrating. Yeah. And that is a justifiable moment mm-hmm. of anger. Um, I don't see it as an example of him being explosive. I see it as like no, a humiliated yeah. kid. No, I mean, I'll take, I'll take his account at his age as we go. This account is from, the, the thing in the classroom is from a classmate. It's, well, that's what it, yeah. yeah. But I'm still saying like, oh, he's still yeah. young at this point. We don't so. hate that version of him. Yeah. No. So naturally, in his early teens, you're an outcast. You've been mercilessly bullied. He turns to drugs and alcohol. That's not an uncommon thing, which his mother said she was fine with because um, it evened out his ADHD. Mm. This is chemically incorrect. Yeah. Just sounded like she didn't want a parent. She's like, it makes him less hyper. ADHD needs stimulants to calm it down, not depressants. Yeah. ADHD also makes people very impulsive and sometimes feel like they're impervious to consequences. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of an unstable dude at this point. He's on the wrong sort of self-medication for a problem. He also might have a head injury. He has like tons of trauma growing up. Like this is not a good recipe right now. But it's also not one that always produces someone that does something awful. There are plenty of people in this world that have trauma and come out on the other side. So not giving him an excuse. Jeremy continued to self-medicate. He attempted suicide by hanging when he was 15 and tried drinking himself into such an oblivion that he passed out outside in the freezing Canada winter and ended up in the hospital with hypothermia. Oh, wow. You got to be real drunk. Yeah. To be outside in like sub-zero weather. Mm-hmm. So I'll admit it. This is not an easy time for Jeremy Allen Stanky. Jeremy also used other hard drugs occasionally, including ecstasy, which ironically may have helped him a little bit considering it's part speed. Mm-hmm. It's a little stimulant. And he also began engaging in self-harm, cutting specifically in his arms when he was alone in his room. Now, the book I read for this case calls cutting, quote, prepare yourself. Cutting is an impulsive form of rebelliousness and attention-seeking, and adolescents who cut are rarely attempting serious injury. Ooh, that's, that's not good. Right? That is incredibly unfair and not true. Cutting is usually a coping mechanism used to hide intense emotional distress with physical pain, and it becomes easier to focus on the physical than it does what's going on in your head. Is that always the case? No, it's not, but a lot of the times it is. 40 to 60% of people who die by suicide have engaged in some form of self-harm. It is not an attention thing. Well, even if it is an attention thing, it's an attention thing in the sense of like, I'm, I need help. I am desperate. Yeah. But most cutters hide it. They hide it, yeah. No, I don't know of any people, and I mean, we've, we're older now. You probably know a couple people who are like, yeah, I did that when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Right. They hit it so completely. It's not something mm-hmm. they're proud of. It is usually a dangerous symptom of a very real problem. So if you or someone you know engages in self-harm, please, please reach out to someone you trust for help or text CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, to 741-741 for free crisis counseling. Putting that there so you have it. It'll be in the show notes too, just in case. Moving on, Jeremy did eventually drop out of high school. Wasn't a great place for him anyway not surprised, and found himself um, immersed in the goth community. It's kind of a safety net that caught him when he was adrift. This was a place where people kind of accepted him and wanted to hear his story and were like, I don't want to say into his trauma, but were 
interested in knowing what had happened to him. And they felt like it, he felt validated by it. We know how good validation is. He seems able to make friends in this atmosphere. Um, and he wasn't alone. There are a lot of other goth youths that were depressed. There were people there who just wanted to listen to him. So Jeremy launched himself very fully into this lifestyle. He wore all black, sometimes sporting a neoprene face mask, which sounds awful. Imagine like, we're talking like a COVID mask type, surgical mask type thing, but it's made out of like a plasticky wetsuit material. Mm. That feels like suffocation, um, but it's effective against the cold weather. It's okay. like a cold weather thing. Mm. So we would probably be more familiar with this if we lived in like Canada or Alaska. It's like a super gator. Right. <laughs> He wore black eyeliner and black nail polish and listened to industrial music and death metal. His vampire freak's handle was Soul Eater. Ooh, that's a good one. Gonna eat some souls. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> yum, 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 yum. <laughs> <laughs> the once intimidated and despondent youth had become a confident and charismatic leader in this new world. A world who didn't care where he came from. In this sense, that's nice. You found your island of misfit toys. That is wonderful. Jeremy began indulging in a very active fantasy life as well, though, mm. which sometimes is fine. I have a very vivid imagination. Not this vivid, but, you know, he claimed that he was a lichen. Okay. A 300-year-old werewolf that loved the taste of human blood. So that's taking it. Yeah. Next level. He also wore a vial of blood around his neck. I have no confirmation how people knew this was actually blood. It could have been anything red in a vial. Mm. And he claimed that he once made cookies with blood. And he made it with so much blood that it turned them pink. Wrong. That wouldn't happen. No. Come on, guys. Have you ever made a steak? What color is that blood when it's cooked? Not pink. He was like, I just wanted to taste blood because I'd like to, I'm going to be a cannibal maybe. I don't know. I'm just real edgy. But that's not blood in a steak. That's, it's juices. I guess. You drain the blood from it's it. Still like, that's like what people always think it's the blood, but it's it's juice. But still like right? oxidized. Not, I don't know. I feel like some of it has to be still contained in the yeah. tissue. Maybe not. Maybe it is. Steak people, blood. let us know. But also, or you can Google it. You look like you need to right now. I do. Okay. But also, um, I mean, if you've ever cut yourself and it ended up on the floor a little and you came by it later when it's been like oxidized for a while. It's not pink. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. think baked into a cookie it would be pink anyway. No. Okay. It's it's myoglobin. Okay. And oxygen-storing protein that changes color when exposed to heat. Oh, okay. So, that's right. Because I was like, I know we always say it's like we like it bloody, but mm -hmm. it's not blood. Okay. I, I learned something today. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I still think if you cooked blood, it would be that same rusty color. I don't think oh, it, it would, would be. Oh, yeah. right? yeah. it would. Yeah. It would, yeah. But... Jeremy leaned very heavily into this, like, werewolf persona anyway, insisting he would change during the full moon and that he might be dangerous. Like, one time a girl, he was like, this girl wanted to take a walk with him, and he was like, I wouldn't. Not during the full moon. <laughs> you don't know what I could do. That's some real Twilight shit right there. <laughs> like, getting so hot and heavy over here. Okay. And the girl is probably 13 yeah. based on the people he hangs out with, and she yeah. probably was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You might be... D -d -d dangerous yeah. like <laughs> though he really 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 liked to talk about the werewolf stuff there is no evidence that jeremy allen stanky actually suffered from clinical lycanthropy which is a real thing am i telling you that there are actual werewolves like running around in the woods no but there are some people who think maybe they are leslie mm -hmm. i think you could tell us a little more about 
these people perhaps? You know, I sure can. I know so much about Perfect. it. Perfect. Great. Um, yeah, he does not sound like he has this. It no! sounds like he... This is a fantasy. It sounds like the Rod Farrell thing. Where Very he similar. just created mm-hmm. an identity versus like being distraught that this was happening A hundred percent. That's what this is. Okay, so clinical lycanthropy is a rare belief or delusion in which the patient thinks that they are transforming, have been transformed into, or already is an animal. Mm-hmm. Its name is associated with the mythical condition of lycanthropy, a supernatural affliction in which humans are said to physically shapeshift into wolves. So, like, it doesn't always have to just be um, a wolf. A lot of times it's dogs. It could also be, which I heard and I hate this, a snake. (laughs) But it could be like cats or horses or lizards or... Just like a little cat? Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) So clinical lycanthropy has been linked to the altered states of mind that accompany psychosis, which is a mental state that bends reality and normally involves delusions and hallucinations since the transformation only occurs in the mind and behavior of the affected individual. Because it is such a rare diagnosis, it is usually also linked with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or severe depression. All of this is not to be confused with hypertrichosis, or unfairly known as werewolf syndrome. Oh, that's when you're hairy, right? Yeah, it's the affliction that causes an abnormal amount of hair all over the body. In previous centuries, such individuals were often exhibited in circus and carnival sideshows as so-called freaks. But they're just like normal people. They just have a lot of hair. Yeah, no, there's a lot of photographic. I'll I'll find something for our photo suite this week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were very popular in sideshows. And then there's... um, Synanthropy, which is a delusion in which one imagines oneself as a dog, frequently barking and growling, is often linked to clinical lycanthropy as well. I went to grade school with a girl that thought she was a dinosaur sometimes. Does that count? It could. She would make dinosaur sounds. Yeah. She really wanted to be a dinosaur. I love that for her. Yeah. In total, 43 cases of lycanthropy or syn synanthropy were identified, including 20 cases of lycanthropy, four cases of partial lycanthropy, and 19 cases of synthanthropy. Hmm. These cases were reported between 1852 and 2020. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot for that period of time. Exactly. It's very rare That's that this happens. That's super rare. Yeah. Okay. And again, these are the ones that have been like, like actually clinically like brought in like actual patients that they've treated for something yeah 38 of these cases were found between 1970 and 2020 so it was like a huge spike like later on but also again werewolf epidemic yeah but also again it was like maybe clinicians kind of figuring out yeah they were that it might not be just like schizophrenia or psychosis or something so some signs and symptoms include one delusions Again, the person believes that they have or are turning into an animal. Hallucinations. The person has vivid hallucinations of being an animal or having whatever traits that animal has, such as claws, fur, or fangs. Disorganized speech. People often take on the sounds of the animal that they have turned into. Someone that believes they have turned into a werewolf might begin to howl at the moon or sometimes during the day. Make dinosaur noises. Mm Mm-hmm. Grossly disorganized behavior. People who believe they have turned into a werewolf, for example, often live outside and adopt the diet of a wolf. Oh, no. Yeah. 
So in one of the first clinically reported cases in 1852, the patient believed they were turning into a wolf and pulled back their lips to show their new wolf fangs. Oh, no. The same patient complained about their cloven feet and um, abnormal amount of body hair. Wolves don't have cloven feet. I know. I don't. Isn't that weird? That's like goat feet. I know. Okay. This person was all over. Very weird time. And how they could now only eat raw meat. But when offered raw meat, they turned it down because it just was like not rotten enough. God, Heidi Montag. Yeah. (laughs) She loves it raw. She's a werewolf. Yeah. She may be. So one, another patient reported seeing the head of a wolf every time they looked in a mirror. And another complained about the claws that were growing from their feet and hands. So that one's more like a, like a visual. Like Like a thriller moment. Yeah, like they might, um, sometimes they just see it when they're Oof, looking in a mirror. That's versus, scary. Um, versus like feeling it yeah. happen. They're both know? scary, but I think if I looked in a mirror and suddenly I was like taking on animal traits, that yeah. would be fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this one too, but like one person felt like their bones were replaced with pig bones. Oh my God. Yeah, and it's like how they view themselves, almost like a body dysmorphia that's kind of like thing. That's like a little bit of our, our old standby, Richard Trenton Chase, yes. who would always talk about how he felt his bones were moving and they were like, his insides were incorrect. Yeah, yeah. And it's just this weird thing that could be like a neurological issue also. Yeah. Another case in 1989, the patient reported a serial transformation that began with a change from human to dog, then to horse, and finally to cat. So he was a cat. Before returning to the reality of human existence after treatment. So he just had like a vacation as animals. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. In a case study published in 2021, so I don't know when this actually was, but it was published last year. A 25-year-old milkman was brought to the Department of Psychiatry by family members with complaints of excessive hand-washing, irritable behavior, and decreased sleep along with recurrent cleaning of genital areas. Oh, boy. And acting like a buffalo for four months. Buffalo with real clean genitals. During an interview with the patient, he reported engaging in sexual activity with his own buffalo a few times six months ago. No! And since then, he believes that a few of the cells of the buffalo have entered into his body and he would turn into a buffalo. To avoid this, he recurrently washes his hands and genitals. Gradually, his belief strengthened and he was convinced that he had become a buffalo due to his bestiality. Along with this, his obsession with contamination and compulsive hand washing continued. About two months after the act of bestiality, he started believing his body had transformed into a buffalo beginning from his lower half toward, towards the torso and face. When he looked at himself or in the mirror, he visualized his body parts like a buffalo and kept on screaming about his repugnant state and was constantly preoccupied about his looks. However, his family members did not see any visible change in this body. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Despite that the patient was unconvinced when reassured and repeatedly tried to scrub his body and looked in the mirror to see if he reverted back to himself. As per his family members for the last few weeks, he had started to act like a buffalo by nodding his head and walking on all four limbs and asking for hay and grass to eat. You know, like buffaloes, they like (laughs) always ask. (laughs) Get some grass, please. What a buffalo you are. Such a polite buffalo. This buffalo-like behavior would occur throughout the day. He would occasionally curse 
and beat the buffalo on which he had performed bestiality (gasps) as he believed it to be the reason for his transformation. And then I love this part. The family members took the patient for a faith healing for two weeks before bringing him to the current psychiatric facility where some rituals were performed. And I'm like, what rituals? I need to know. This is in the case study. So I'm like, what rituals? Uh, However, his behavior did not improve. Afterwards, the family members brought the patient to the hospital. (laughs) So I'm like, what rituals were happening? He was ultimately diagnosed with obsessive compulsion. (laughs) Obsessive compulsive disorder and body dysmorphic disorder with delusional beliefs. He was treated with uh, fluoxetine and uh, resperidone. Fluoxetine is, um, what is that? I know what it is. Is that an antidepressant? What is it? I know what it is. It's, um, it's Prozac. Okay, yeah, it's an antidepressant. So it's just an SSRI. Mm -hmm. And after six months of pharmacotherapy, his body dysmorphia and hand washing were both reduced. Okay. So it is hard to shock me. Yeah. That was shocking. Yeah. So well, I have ta- another one. Take away from that one. <laughs> oh my God. I'm really excited that you have another one. But my takeaway from that one is if you don't want to be a buffalo, don't fuck don't a fuck buffalo. a buffalo. <laughs> and wash your dick. Yeah. Like a hundred times. Well, that that didn't work. No. Maybe if he had done it before, he fucked the That's buffalo. not going to get the cells that are inside your body. Just don't fuck a buffalo then. Yeah. That's really the key. Right. And then like, don't cut it off at the source. <laughs> the dick. Just cut your yeah. dick off. That's yeah. what you got to do. If you fuck a buffalo, mm-hmm. cut off your dick. <sighs> <laughs> That's a t-shirt. <laughs> do we have time for another case? Yes, please. Okay. These are great. In another case study published in 2014, a 20-year-old man was admitted after he became increasingly agitated and showed erratic behaviors at home, starting about five weeks before his admission. On initial evaluation, he seemed guarded and internally preoccupied. He gave brief responses and had prolonged latency of speech. His thought process was disrupted, apparently due to lack of attention. He had no significant previous psychiatric history. He had been using alcohol and marijuana occasionally. A family history of bipolar disorder was present. Okay. He was started on risperidone. Am I saying that right? I don't know. I don't have it spelled in front of me. Is it an an N or an L at the end? Risperidone? Don't. Don't? Yeah. Done. Don't. I have no idea. For a new onset of psychosis. So he was being treated for psychosis. Okay. Subsequent laboratory testing showed moderate neutropenia, yeah. Neutropenia? Neutropenia. Mm-hmm. And risperidone had to be discontinued. So over the next few days, the patient displayed increasingly psychotic animal-like behaviors. He howled loudly in his room. He broke into a run abruptly in the hallway. At times, he crawled on the floor on all four limbs. He also appeared to be internally stimulated. His Internally stimulated? I think, like, like the to me, that felt like, um, like, his bones were moving, like like everything inside was not feeling. Well, they right. took away his antipsychotics. Yeah, <laughs> his effect changed without any apparent external trigger. Sometimes he smiled to himself, and at other times he scrawled with an intense look on his face. Ew. When asked about these abnormal behaviors, he gave evasive responses. Eventually, he revealed that he believed he was a werewolf and that he periodically transformed into a wolf. He said that he started believing that he was a special person after he had visions of the devil several years ago. He also oh, reported boy. hearing random voices. 
His family later reported that he had recently been preoccupied with books and movies involving werewolves. The patient was started on ziprasidone, and his symptoms gradually responded, and his animal-like behaviors eventually ceased. Oh, my God. I know. So besides psychosis, schizophrenia, bipolar, OCD, etc., neurological conditions and cultural influences have also been suggested as causes of the human-animal transformation delusion. One of these neurological causes is the changes in parts of the brain that are involved in representing body shape. As one neuroimaging study shows, two people diagnosed with the disease showed that those areas displayed unusual active activation, which suggests that when people report their bodies are changing shape, they are genuinely perceiving those feelings. Wow. Treatments for this disorder usually include antidepressants, antipsychotics, or other drugs that have been proven to reduce delusions and hallucinations. Whew! Yeah. This is a scary one. I know. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a really great bit by a comic named Dave Landau about um, him ending up in a, a psychiatric hospital with a guy who thought he was a werewolf that I will post on all of our social medias. I'll share it. It's so, it's, I know it's not a condition we should make fun of, but this bit is very funny. And this particular gentleman wasn't a place to get help. So, okay. <laughs> Putting it out there in the world. Thank you for that, Leslie. You're welcome. So I don't think that Jeremy Allen Steinke has had that. Has it? Has no. it? I don't think any, any of it. I feel but, like he was like LARPing hardcore. Yes, you're 100% <laughs> correct. So other adults weren't super quick to buy into this like, I'm an old werewolf fantasy, but younger goths were real into it. Jeremy was full of energy and fantasies and played this part very well. He was catnip to younger goth girls, and his own emotional immaturity was drawn right back to them. Believe it or not, and you'll probably err towards not if you have seen pictures because they are not very flattering, Jeremy was very popular with the young ladies. I think he delivered more in person. I imagine he came on like real desperate and love bomby and confident and strong, and younger girls... And a lot of people in general, and I don't blame them, love that kind of attention. It's like such devoted, pointed attention. You saw a picture, didn't you? Yeah. You're making the face. I know. Um, Also, it should be noted that, um, because a lot of other people note it, people with ADHD are three years emotionally behind their peers. So he would have been emotionally 20, but that's not enough of an age disparity to make him a child. So I don't want to hear it. So these younger girls that really were into him and his other goth friends do not actually have an unkind word to say about him. They all say that Jeremy was kind and sweet and devoted, a person who would do anything for the people he loved, and that's for sure. In an interview, Jasmine herself claims that she met Jeremy, as I hinted to earlier, through mutual friends at the mall. But the truth here is muddy, you guys. Maybe she's telling the truth, maybe she isn't. But she claimed that her seventh grade goth girlfriend knew Jeremy already and introduced the two of them. Remember, he's 22, and has a large amount of 12- and 13-year-old female friends. Right. That's not okay. Yeah, I don't like that. These are inappropriate friendships to start. Jasmine claims to have been impressed by Jeremy's popularity with the other goths and his charisma as he held court with a group of 7th graders. Yeah. After spending more time together, Jeremy and Jasmine began dating. He claims that he had no idea how old she was. Again, I will point out that they were friends on the social media platforms, like a whole bunch of them, and they all stated that she was like 15. I don't think she said she was 18 on any of them. Maybe she did, but most of them say 15. Jeremy claims since he only 
like he saw he met her hanging out with um mutual friends who were like older goth guys specifically one named Trenchcoat. I don't like that. She was hanging out with a 20-year-old guy named Trenchcoat. We're such parents. <laughs> Listen, anybody brings home Trenchcoat, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, you cannot come past the front door. That's a hard no. Yeah, and so Jeremy said, well, Trenchcoat's 20, so she's definitely over 18, which a lot of people want to buy into. They're like, oh, yeah, he definitely just thought she was older. I don't know why we give him that much grace. I don't buy it. An 18-year-old girl does not lie on social media to say that she has 15. At that age, we always go up. He could see her age on her profile. And by this time, she also had a MySpace where they were friends and where she stated she was also 15 because you had to be over 13. There is no evidence that he would have had any reason to believe Jasmine was over 18 other than the fact that he extrapolated it because he wanted to. But I digress. The two of them bonded over their relationship with people who were not their own age. This was like a topic of conversation between them. Jeremy talked about loving to date younger girls and Jasmine talked about how she had a lot of older male friends and both situations were frowned upon. Gee, I wonder why. Mm -hmm. But the Mm -hmm. two of them could not understand why. In February of 2006, Jeremy asked Jasmine to be his girlfriend formally at a punk show. And she, of course, said yes. Well, he asked her online, but then he saw her at the punk show and he was like, so what's the verdict? And she was like, I love you. Mm -hmm. Because she was 12. But tensions were rising between Jasmine and her parents for the amount of time that she was spending with older men, and rightfully so. And so they thought it best to keep, uh, Jeremy and Jasmine thought it best to keep their love affair a secret. So they would predominantly communicate online via like the chats and social media and email, and they would talk over the phone like late at night. Of course, Jeremy wrote her love songs and poetry and serenaded her over the phone. He flattered her and praised her and complimented everything about her. He was always telling her that he loved her. And Jasmine, who was 12, was dizzy with attention. They saw each other only on weekends at punk shows that Jasmine was supposedly attending with her friends. But that ended in, um, that whole thing ended after an incident where Jasmine was supposed to be watching her younger brother, Jacob. But instead, she left him home alone so she could go see Jeremy and a friend at a show. And Jacob, who was only eight, got really scared home alone, mm-hmm. of course, and called his parents, who grounded the hell out of Jasmine and forbade her from seeing these older men any longer. Makes sense. Right. So Jasmine and Jeremy had to keep their communications limited to these late night phone calls and email direct messages. So they like, you know, couldn't even see each other really. Do you want to hear some of them? Okay. March 2nd, 2006, 425 p.m. To runaway devil from Soul Eater. Subject. Till death do we part. So, um, yeah, do you truly feel that you've fallen in love with me? I really want to know. If so, all you have to do is tell me. You mean so much to me. I don't want anything to ruin what we have, so please tell me everything truthfully. Are you going to be able to go to the punk shows on the 9th next week at the Scouts Hall and then on the 17th? Not next week, the one after? It's at the Moose, and yet I don't know why. Who knows why the Moose? Well, I miss you lots. Hope to hear from you soon, XOXO, L8-er, like later with the eight. Beautiful, love. Okay. Uh, So then Runaway Devil responds to Soul Eater in a message dated March 8th at 8.56 a.m. Response, hello there. Well, you see, I fucking love you. I think that's the whole email. That's it? That is all she said. Well, you see, I fucking love you. And then Jeremy responded with a song he wrote. Do you want to hear the lyrics? Oh, my God. 
You're the blood that flows through my veins. You're the sun breaking through the cloud when it rains. My love is for you forever as we die here together. We'll be together forever till death do we part. Hope you enjoy. Love you tons. Later, Cuddle Bunny. Cuddle Bunny. <laughs> and then Jasmine responds. Uh, aha, yay, Y-E-Y. You make me feel so loved, hearts. Yes, I do love you. You're wonderful. Kiss. Great. Um, but after that, such young love. I know. <laughs> I hope no one ever reads my messages oh, when I'm this God, age. I know. <laughs> so at this point, um, Jasmine's parents had been so concerned about her hanging out with older guys. And when they stopped her, they kind of suspected that it never really stopped. They were mm-hmm. like, I feel like she's still talking to them. Yeah. So they started monitoring her computer pages. Like at one point, her dad like takes her computer to somebody that can hack into it. And he's like, this is my underage daughter. I need to see if she's talking to grown ass men. Mm-hmm. And I think think this, these people helped him, even though it's probably technically unethical, but I think they did a good job. So they read these messages and they're like, oh no, you can't have any more phone calls from older boys. I don't want them calling you. I don't want you to talk to them. And so that's now a rule in her house. Okay. Not that she follows it, but anyway. Right. Um, but they were trying to protect her. They were trying to protect her. So then another message after this banning comes in from Jeremy to Jasmine. And it says, uh, the subject is, ha ha. It says, God, I can't get over not seeing or talking to you. I yearn to hear your soft, subtle, S-U-T-T-L-E voice. And long to be held in your arms, wherever that might be, I don't care. But just to share the time we have together with you are to die for it. There's no punctuation. And there is not anything that could ever replace the way you make me feel. Hearts, I miss you. I love you. And I wish that we could just go somewhere and just, J-E-S-T, be alone together for a little while or as long as you would like. I think tonight I'm going to write another song to you. Happy face emoticon. Won't that be fun? Especially seeing as you shall not read it or hear it until I see you next. Tee-hee, R-O-F-L. Well, I guess I should go or something, but I hope to hear from you much sooner than later. T-T-Y-L, cuddle bunny, hugs and kisses. Oh, man. (laughs) I, oh, God, this is so cringy. It is very cringy. Uh, I mean, they never thought anybody would be reading this on air. Obviously. But Jasmine's parents weren't the only ones who were getting tired of this bullshit. Jasmine's friends were also beginning to see through Jeremy as well. He was a little less impressive at this Mm -hmm. point. They saw him as rather obnoxious and too intense. Even in seventh grade, they knew this guy was not a werewolf. Her friends began to pull away from her because they were like, I'll hang out with you when he's not there. We don't really like him. Yeah, that starts to get scary for, like, young girls. Yeah, especially when you, like, at first it's like, oh, it's an older guy. And then after a while, you're like, you are a man. Yeah. I don't know that I want that for me. Her parents were constantly vigilant. So they're always trying to monitor her stuff. Uh, So it's just like them against the world energy now, which only fuels this kind of stuff a lot of the time. And so they hatched a plan. It seems that this started as a fantasy, but then it just ran really far out of control. And I say that, but there is the very real and present fact that either of them could have stopped at any time that is staring me in the face as well. So Jeremy would begin to tell Jasmine in these like, clandestine letters that they have to each other now because her parents are like increasingly restricting her. So they're like, you know, as as stuff like this goes on, you're going to get more groundings and like, okay, well, now you can't use this and I'm going to monitor this account so she would create another account. That kind of thing is happening. And so Jeremy 
started telling Jasmine that he missed her as much as he missed killing people, and he hoped that they could kill people together. Now, you and I know that he had never killed anybody. Right. This is just an edgy thing for him to say. Something the character he imagines that he is would do. Mm -hmm. But tell that to a 12-year-old. Remember, he's talking to a 12-year-old. Right. Uh, Do we want some examples of this? Well, here you go. After managing to sneak out to see him, Jasmine got this message from Jeremy. So she's going to extremes. She's like doing anything she can to stay in this relationship. So this is a message she gets from Jeremy after sneaking out. How goes it? You were a sight for sore, as in soaring through the breeze, eyes, and I miss you more than killing people. Can we get together and kill people together? I have a poem for you, number four, and you shall see it when I see you. Teehee! Well, I guess I should go. Love you tons. Then he wrote her a poem. Do you want to hear that? Yeah. Okay. There's something about your beauty that makes life with you feel like a movie. Not a rhyme. It's like a dream come true. The skies are always blue. And when I'm with you, I feel alive. You make me want to take that dive. I swear to you that I could never lie. Your soft, sweet lips could get me high. (laughs) Jeremy also talked about going on a killing spree all across Canada, like Mickey and Mallory in the film Natural Born Killers, which he called the greatest love story of all time. Not the takeaway of that movie. No. No? Again, this is a man who has created a fantasy version of himself and is projecting it onto a child who still has the capacity for magical thinking. So it's not going to end well. Right. On St. Patrick's Day 2006, Jasmine's parents caught her at a punk show with Jeremy. So like, whoop, cut. And they were furious. He like just turned coat and ran. The parents saw them and he was like, whoop, didn't even talk to anybody. This time the grounding was more extreme. She was grounded for a month. She got no computer or phone, no of her like gothy music. So they took away her MP3 player. Okay. Um, no goth dress, dress up. So they took away all of her like super goth clothes and her like accessories. No scary makeup, nothing. She was to come to school and come directly home and that was it. And she couldn't dress like a superstar or whatever. Right. Is this extreme? Yeah, it's a little extreme. But their daughter was also being groomed by a 23-year-old man. Right. Well, I mean, she wasn't respecting their rules, their home. No, she wasn't. You're correct. She wasn't allowed to express herself. Or have these things that they clearly bought for her. Right, exactly. She didn't buy her own stuff. Right. They didn't... They. It sounds like they didn't care about her dressing up. No, they didn't. They cared about her defying them so, like, dangerously. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And in this case, I have, in case I haven't been clear enough, this was grooming. The whole thing is pedophilic. Yeah. And we can't bury that in a heap of, but she had boobs. I don't care. How am I so sure of this? Because after the punk show incident, when Jasmine managed to make her way to a computer, because of course she found a computer somewhere, she immediately messaged. Jeremy, um, who had been like pouty and despondent about the whole thing, that she wanted to have sex with him. So there it is. He got it. That's a felony. Right. In turn, Jeremy began telling Jasmine that he was jealous of her few remaining friends. And one by one, she removed them from her life. Mm. And then on March 20th, Jasmine sent this message. Roar! I hate them! So I have this plan. It begins with me killing them and it ends with me living with you. So we are set. I'm going to try and call you, but I don't really know if I'll be able to. They're treating me like shit. I hate them so much, but I hope this won't bring us far apart. I hope to talk to you soon and love you with all my heart. Love. And then Jeremy responded with, well, I love your plan, but we need to get a little more creative with like details and stuff. I wish they wouldn't treat you like that. Grr, it angers me to hear that. I dislike them very much. Don't worry. I love you too, my sexy beast. 
I hope to hear from you soon. Take care, my love. You have the key to my heart, and soon enough you shall have my heart if I die anyway, because if I give it to you now, then I'll die, and you won't be able to hear me say how much I love you. Oof. <laughs> oh, man. And then on March 25th, yeah, Jeremy shared this poem on his Nextopia blog. My girlfriend's family are totally unfair. They say that they really care and they don't know what's going on. They just assume as their greed continues to consume. What's greedy? She is slowly going insane. She continues to thank that I came into her life to help her out and to stop what they keep trying to shout. It's all total bullshit. Their throats I want to slit. They will regret the shit they have done, especially when I see it to see to it that they are gone. They shall pay for their insolence, spelled incorrectly, and there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. That was probably like a big mistake. That is a, a confession. wonderful confession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for the next month. Beautifully written, might I add. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then for an entire month, they just talked like that back and forth like a million times. In poems? Some of them, yeah. But about killing her parents, like graphic emails about them killing her parents. There are so many of them. That's so Documented! I know. I I keep saying it, but this sounds just like that Rod Farrell case. But Mm -hmm. there's more, there's like more back and forth on this. Oh, yeah. It is super similar. He would also come to her house in the middle of the night and she would sneak out a window and go like be with him. They compared themselves to Romeo and Juliet, which of course they did. Yeah. So finally, on April 22nd, Jeremy and Jasmine decide this is the day. It's time to do it. Jeremy was going to sneak into her house really early, like late at night slash early in the morning, and together they would kill her parents. But there was one problem. Jeremy did not actually want to kill people. He just wanted to be someone who wanted to kill people. So he asked his friends to help. Mm. But they were like, "Uh, absolutely not. We're not going to kill people. That's awful. But they did sit and watch Natural Born Killers with him. And Jeremy commented on how Mickey and Mallory let uh, Mallory's little brother free. But the same thing would not happen in this case. Yep. Heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. That night, Jeremy party hopped for hours. So he drank a bunch of wine, smoked a bunch of pot, did cocaine and ecstasy, and then more cocaine and also more cocaine, followed by more cocaine. Now, I mentioned before the stimulants can be good for ADHD, but there are, of course, limits. Mm-hmm. And this dude is off his fucking rocker at this point, mm-hmm. just cracked out of his mind. And so filled to the brim with drugs and sexy murder fantasies and feeling like the full moon was changing him into his inner wolf. It wasn't a full moon. Nice try. Jeremy got into his truck and drove to Jasmine's house. I don't know how he did that. He drove a car? Yeah. He had been like with his friends since like 1030. He showed up at the last location he went to at 3 a.m. And he did all these drugs and drank like this whole time. There is a more detailed timeline, but we're already going very long, so we don't need it. Isn't that, is, was it Brian Schaefer that did all those drugs? Was that the case? He's the one that went missing. Oh, the one that went missing. Uh, who was the one that did like a bunch of ecstasy or like Molly or something? And like, we were like, is that possible to do that much? I don't remember, but I, oh, no, it was uh, Tyler Hadley. Tyler Hadley. Who was just did like fistfuls of it. And we were like, yeah. why are you what? conscious? Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I, I guess some people can do it. And I've, I've. Right, frankly, I've never done cocaine. I don't know if it gives you superpowers or not. Yeah. Well, people. in another case study that I did, which um, they talked about the like ecstasy mm-hmm. inducing like the hallucinations of being yeah. a werewolf. And so like certain levels of it, it just really fucked with this guy's brain. And so until he like sobered back up, he just at that moment, he fully thought he was in a transformation. So if this guy 
like already has this like fun fantasy for himself and then does all of this, he could have just raged into like this beast as well. So I don't know what's about to happen, but based on But I also don't know what component of ecstasy does that to a person. Because he only took so much ecstasy, but he had a ton of stimulants in his bloodstream. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. But in that state, you think he would simply floor the gas and run into a building. I mean, like, how are you even controlling yourself? But he did. He arrived at the Richardson home. We don't have an exact time because there's no way to know. But it was before sunrise. But, like, you know, probably like a 4 a.m. type thing. And he snuck through uh, an open basement window. But old coked-up Charlie wasn't very graceful about his entrance and woke up Jasmine's mother, Deborah, who, thinking she would be catching her daughter sneaking out, she heard the sound of the window and she's like, oh, I'm going to fucking get her you know, made a beeline in her blue nightgown for the basement. But when she got there, it was not Jasmine she saw, but a grown man in all black with a black neoprene face mask on, black fishnet arm stockings, leather wristbands, a neck bandana, and heavy black eyeliner. What the fuck? There's a ninja in your house. Yeah. Jeremy took the kitchen knife he had brought with him from his back pocket and went after Deborah, stabbing and slashing her with the knife. I think it was more than 12 stab wounds in in all. The screams woke up Mark, who ran down the stairs in his boxers, grabbing the only thing he saw to defend himself, which happened to be a screwdriver. When Mark got to the basement, he saw this, like, specter standing over his wife, who was motionless in a pool of blood on the floor. So Mark lunged at him. Former biker, 200 pounds, big guy lunged at this, like, lanky werewolf. And then there was a horrifying struggle. So Mark looks like he would have been the clear winner of this fight, but Jeremy had the more intense weapon and a head full of cocaine adrenaline. So he eventually won, stabbing Mark to death. But he was, like, beat up afterwards. Jeremy Mm -hmm. has, like, a big, oozy black eye, and, like, he's obviously been in, like, an intense fight. And he is just soaked in blood. During the commotion, Jasmine had tiptoed down the stairs seen what was going on, and then turned around and went back up the stairs. Oh, my God. I don't think she thought it was actually going to happen. I Mm. think this was a fantasy they talked about a lot of times. Then when she walked downstairs and saw it, she was like, what? Um, But she doesn't react well. There it was. So Jasmine heard her brother upstairs crying and went into his room to tell him to go back to sleep. Now, I'm going to spare the details here because they are too hard to listen to or say. But during this time, Jeremy, who was soaked in blood, came back up the stairs to see what was happening. And he said they couldn't just leave Jacob as a witness. So Jasmine took the knife and went for him. She killed him. Mm -hmm. He thought she was safe. And she stabs him five times and then slit his throat. She's not innocent. Mm -hmm. She would later tell the court she didn't want him to live without his parents. And the defense would argue that she had a conduct disorder and oppositional defiance. So she just went into like a crazy rage and killed him. But she Mm -hmm. wasn't angry. There are no reports that I, she was angry in this moment. Know, this is panic. I I was worried about that when she went back up and, like, put mm-hmm. him back to bed. That if she's the one, yep. she had, like, a sudden, like, that That was, it very well could have been all adrenaline-induced with that yeah. thought. Not that it makes it better. No, And the yeah. fact that, I don't know how you could actually do it, but that clearly just seemed like if she just did it so fast. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, God. Awful. Yeah. Awful. In the panic and vomiting that ensued afterwards, because she immediately freaked out and, like, they, like, threw up into the backyard. Of course. Of course. Um, She started panicking. Jasmine is, like, packing things in a bag, aimlessly walking around. By the time she gets downstairs with a few things in her hands, 
Jeremy has gone. Without her. He just left. He just fucking left. Jasmine, in abject panic and horror, calls the house where Jeremy had recently been living with a few other derelicts. So at this point, he had moved out of his mom's trailer and he was living in an apartment building with a couple other guys. His roommate said that Jeremy wasn't home. But Jasmine was like, I, I have to go somewhere. I can't, I can't stay here. I have to leave. And he was like, um, you're gonna have to take a cab then. I don't know what to fucking tell you. Bye. So she stole her mother's credit card and withdrew money from the bank with it. Paper trail. Mm-hmm. And then took a cab, witness and paper trail, to Jeremy's apartment. And at this point, Jeremy had also arrived there and they acted like he hadn't just run away. He had pulled his truck around the back, put on plastic gloves and cleaned his truck. He took a shower, put on, um, put all of his clothes into a trash bag. And then he and Jasmine laid down and had sex. I don't, I don't like that. She is still 12. That afternoon, they went to a party where Jeremy bragged about his murdering, claiming that he gutted Jasmine's parents like a fish. Oh, my God. Jasmine went along with it, telling her friends how her little brother gurgled. <gasps> yeah. She also was clinging to Jeremy for dear life during this whole time. She was just, like, kissing him and on top of him, trying to touch him as much as possible, because she would later say that he was the only person in the world that could take care of her now. Mm-hmm. And she's a kid who needs to be taken care of. Right. And the only way she knows how to keep this guy is to maybe fuck him some more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, what I was thinking, like, yeah, she had no choices. No. She was a child. And to me, it's never more apparent than in that moment. Yeah. So we're back where we began. Police are combing the crime scene and feverishly searching for any signs of Jasmine. Finally, they go to her school to search her locker, looking for anything, hoping they'll find a clue, a friend's name, something that might lead them to what happened. And they did. But it's not what you think it might have been. It was a sheet of computer paper where Jasmine had drawn a detailed comic of herself and Jeremy murdering her entire family. And also a note that read, quote, May the hatred and anger built of blazing infernos fill you and overcome you. May the pains of a thousand tortured souls come upon you like scalding blade and eclipse all other noble feeling. May your hopes, dreams, and happiness fall into the swirling pit of despair never to return. May your peace of mind and safety be gone to you, to forever afraid and allied. May the black overcome you and the pain never ending. May all you love be stolen and destroyed just out of reach to never again feel joys. Amen. XX. Oh, and this comic is clearly labeled like Jeremy's truck, mom, dad, me, Jacob. So it's like, it's not exactly what ended up happening, but, like, it's, it's a, a blueprint of them killing her right. whole family. <sighs> Smart, right? At this point, it was, like, only a matter of time. They're done. Police were busy tracking down Jasmine and Jeremy. So they're talking to their friends, finding out who these people are, where they might have gone. When a few of Jeremy's friends actually racked with guilt at this point because they were not impressed by the, we gutted her parents like a fish. They were horrified. Mm-hmm. So they went to the police to report what had happened. Uh, Jeremy and Jasmine, meanwhile, fled town with a friend driving them to a neighboring town. This friend was then, like, accused as an accessory but acquitted. They were caught by authorities the next morning at 7.51 a.m. having sex in the back of a truck. I think she just could not have sex with him more because she thought that is what would keep him there. Oh, yeah. I don't—that part of it, I don't necessarily—I don't want to say blame her. Right. But just that—I mean, that's all she could do at that point. I think so, too. In the end, Jasmine claimed she thought it was all a joke and a fantasy 
and that she never meant for any of this to happen. She said she just loved Jeremy so much and didn't want him to leave her. And Jeremy claimed he did it so the two of them could be together and because she told him to. Yeah. Under the youth, yeah, I know that's rough, right? Under the Youth Criminal Justice Act, Jasmine Richardson's name could no longer be published in Canada. So if you read articles on this from Canada and some of the books and stuff, she is only referred to as J.R. Okay. After she became a suspect. Under the same act, 12 is the youngest possible age at which a person can be charged with a crime. Convicts who were under 14 years of age at the time um, that committed a crime cannot be sentenced as adults in Canada. So she did not face an adult sentence no matter what. And they can only be given a 10-year sentence if they're 12 and under. So on July 9th, 2007, Jasmine, who had turned 13 by then, was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder in the killings. Oh, sorry, under 14. Anyway, she is believed to be the youngest person ever convicted of multiple murders in Canada. On November 8th, 2007, she was sentenced to the maximum penalty of 10 years imprisonment. She was young. She could only receive 10 years. Her sentence included credit for 18 months already spent in custody to be followed by four years in a psychiatric institution and four and a half years under conditional supervision in the community. In September of 2011, Jasmine began, began attending classes at Mount Royal University in Calgary during the final years of her sentence, so she was getting an education. She was released from a 10-year sentence at a psychiatric hospital in the fall of 2011, and in October of 2012, it was reported that her rehabilitation was going well and she had begun to re express remorse for her actions that experts considered to be genuine. In May of 2016, her sentence was complete and she was freed of any further court-ordered conditions, restrictions, or supervision after a final sentence review on May 6th. The judge proclaimed that Jasmine had been completely rehabilitated and was the poster child for such treatment. He claimed that her parents and brother would be proud of her. But many people argue that statement. Jasmine lives quietly in Canada under a different name. Some see her as a criminal mastermind and are terrified she will reoffend. Others see her as a child that was a victim in some parts of this case and that she did her, did her debt, learn her lessons, and now she's going to just quietly live in the world. But the big debate surrounding this case is like, who's right? I don't buy that she is a victim in any sense. Mm -hmm. I do agree that she was 12. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that she was, I don't think that she believed that she was joking, but I can believe that she didn't really understand the consequence. I don't think that she thought it was all entirely real. Yeah. At that age, you say a lot of things. I, I know. I think that's the hard part. So they went back and forth a lot. Like you said, it was, it like was almost like an over active fantasy that they had. Right. Well, that's what that's what mm -hmm. I was going to get to, that it's like they they discussed this back and forth a lot. But if she was desperate to be with this guy, mm -hmm. she might have just thought that this was like their fun conversation. That's to what have. I was thinking. Like a kind of it, it also when they talk about it, it's very like. And then it's because I love you more than anything else in the world and you're so beautiful and sexy and I want to make out with you in a river of blood. Right. right. And she could be just enjoying the, what she believes is this goth life of like the, the villain side about of the craft. You just do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm not giving her all of the excuses in the world. I think no. she deserves more than Jeremy, to be honest with you. But Jeremy Allen Steinke admitted to the murders of Mark and Deborah Richardson in conversation with an undercover police officer while in custody. 
He was tried in November of 2008 and found guilty by a jury on three counts of first-degree murder for the killings of all three Richardson family members. On December 15th of 2008, Jeremy was sentenced to three life sentences, one for each first-degree count. The sentences are to be served concurrently, and Jeremy will be eligible for parole after serving 25 years, because that's everybody in Canada. So who's to blame? That's the big one here. Jeremy got the what Canada is the most you can get in Canada. Like in the United States, you can get 60 years, you can get 100 years, you can get 100 million years. In Canada, you, you, no matter what you do, I'm pretty sure you get 25 years and then a chance of parole. Mm. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I seem to recall that being a thing. Okay. Chance of parole. They might deny your parole, so but you have the chance. So he'll be like 58, possibly. Yeah. With chance of parole. That doesn't right. mean they're going to grant it. Right. But they could. I mean, I think they're both to blame. Agreed. But, but my problem with the way this case is framed everywhere yeah. is that it's always killer kid. Right. Evil kid. Criminal mastermind kid who forced the man to kill her parents. Right. What? Yeah, she didn't force him even if he was a little like developmentally young I'm sure he was I'm sure he had plenty of challenges he still knew that she was too young for him Mm -hmm. and he still knows that killing is wrong Mm -hmm. and he still he still knows that he's not a werewolf Mm So that's what the what psychologists would say about him. They were like, well, he's not a fucking werewolf. They they said he had like obviously ADHD and some depression issues. And I think think there is there's been debate of psychosis, but no like concrete diagnosis mm-hmm. because they would have gone for an insanity defense and they didn't. Also, he couldn't just kill he had to drug himself up completely. Mm-hmm. He had to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did it alone because they didn't want to help him. Mm-hmm. But he still knew that, like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to be real. Real fucked up. Yeah. It feels to me like a bit that's gone too far. Like yes. you're joking and then somebody yeah. takes it too far and you hurt somebody. Yeah. But, like, to the a millionth degree. It sounds to me like he had, he wanted I feel like he wanted to kill somebody, but then, like, the time came and he freaked out a bit about it because he does have a conscience. I think he just wanted to be someone who could kill somebody. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like, it was just the glamorous image in his head of a a murderer. But when it came down to the actual act, he was like, I don't know that I want to actually do it. I just want to be the guy that does it. And I, I don't know what to think of Jasmine because that's, I think that's morally difficult because I would feel like I, okay, if I was in her place at that age mm-hmm. talking to an older person, you might enjoy the attention at first, but then once things, like, I feel like a normal, healthy child, mm-hmm. like her friends, mm-hmm. got weirded out. Yeah, you they get to a point where you're like, too much, too much. They sensed it. Yeah. And she didn't. No? She didn't sense it. So I don't know what, like, clearly there is something there there on her end. Here's the thing, though. There are a lot of children in that circumstance where in grooming makes them totally blind. That's true. And he clearly was good at that. Right. He was talking about how much he loved her cuddle bunny. And he talks in this, like, younger, 
sappy. Yeah, he talks very young. Like he talks, he's on her level when they're talking. So to her, this was probably like the ideal man. She was just under this, you know, fucking pheromone mist where she just, I mean, again, this is like when older men treat a young girl like they are a beautiful goddess because in a year they're going to fuck them. Yeah. It's the same sort of situation. At least that's how I see it. Because in the end, he did end up having sex with a 12-year-old girl. Yeah. Multiple times, which I don't, people kind of like give him that. They're like, she looked much older. I don't care. I don't care. Oh my God, really? We're talking about how she had tits? It makes me so mad. Makes me like incomprehensibly mad. I know, I know. I I think in the long run, I think that Jasmine at least got what she deserved. And and I'm hoping that she proves the courts and her psychiatrist, like the, her doctors, right? That she is remorseful. There are other people who have killed their families and been released. There's the guy that's a psychology professor in the United States that like snapped one day in his early teens and killed his sister and his mother. And then he did his time. And now he is like, a valuable member of society somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, in children, it's so difficult to make that judgment. And I think people want to put these hard and fast rules on kids that you just can't. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's more complicated and I don't think we should give up on them. That's why we have, you know, places for them to go. I mean, we just saw this with the Slenderman girls. Well, yeah, I was thinking about them too. (sighs) That was crazy. Wild ride, right? Yeah. Yeah. Toast? Toast. Uh, well, first, I suppose to uh, Mark and Deborah and Jacob Richardson. All right. Tyler Toast. Jacob. Yeah, Tyler Jacob. That was, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the little boy. So to them, they did not deserve what happened to them. And God, I can't even imagine. So cheers. Anybody else in the case you want to toast? I'm trying to think. Well, a lot of people did a lot of super honorable things here, but. Yeah. There's some pretty good police work. Yeah. Oh, the little boy who had to see it. I know. Yeah, to him. So to Gareth and his mom who called the damn cops and are the reason anything was caught. Do we have anybody else to toast? We do. Woo! I'm excited. We have two patrons Bring this it on. week. Okay. We have Danielle and Jordan. Danielle and Jordan, we love okay. you. Cheers. They are best fiends. Woo! We love a best fiend. Right. Cheers. And if we were caught up in a fiery fantasy that began to burn out of control, we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. So if you or someone you know engages in self-harm, please, please reach out to someone you trust for help or text CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, to 741-741 for free crisis counseling.